Previously on the Project Umbrella podcast. It's too hard, it's just so damn hard. But Ori 7 is the game that has brought me back into the series. Can you possibly tell me if this happens in the film? Wesker's okay. blood is alive. <laughs> Correct, so points there for Batman and uh, Rumbi is Congo. He always said Robin, he always said Batman and Robin. <laughs> he always said it. I guarantee it. He stopped himself. He said Robin. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Project Umbrella podcast. Still coming to terms with a social media pressurised choice of the 13th Doctor, and after his last speech, waiting for the announcement from Kobayashi that the Biohaz movies are now canon. I'm Nick, better known as Neptune. Let's see who's joining us today. I'm reliably informed that he hangs upside down all day and then catches criminals with his sonar. It's Batman. Hello. Officially has the world's largest collection of Umbrella Corps in his possession. It stars Tyrant. Oh, yes. <laughs> and yes, he comes from New Zealand. Yes, they couldn't beat a small rugby team from the home nations. But look on the bright side. He hasn't had to put up with Love Island for the past six weeks. It's Rombi. Coming up on the podcast, we'll be looking at all the news. We both have gaming news and some site news to get you all excited about. And then we're going to be examining the brand new CGI film, Resident Evil Vendetta. We'll be leaving no stone unturned. We'll be discussing the film in detail, the best bits, worst bits, and the overall impact on the story and the mindset of Capcom at the moment. We will then end probably on a lighter note to how we finish the main discussion with Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. So without further ado, let's start with the news. So, Revelations 1 HD is being released on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One on 31st of August for $19.99. And it's going to be released digitally, and for all you lovers of tangible objects, physical disc as well. Who's getting this game? Because it's going to be the best console <laughs> version, I will pick it up one last time. But it's a nice I... budget price, so this will be like, hopefully, the archive version that you can have on your shelf. I'm not sure whether it's enhanced from the PC, or you know, whether they've done additional tweaks, or whether it's just a straight port of like you know full settings PC version. I think it does look kind of like that. There's a couple of clips on the Japanese website, and it looks alright for HD. But um, you got to think, like, the legacy of the 3DS HD version, it's never going to hold up that great under probably the jurist, yeah. but I'm sure it's, it doesn't look that bad. Have the assets I, been upscaled? Because we are essentially going from 720p to 1080p. Even less than that, aren't you, with the original 3DS? Yeah. Some of the textures seemed like, I think they were replaced anyway in the original HD version, just to kind of wow. fix them. So it probably is those assets being just upscaled. I never finished even everything in the game I finished the game but not everything in the game the first time it was released on HD and I was like oh one day I'll come back to it and now this probably gives me an excuse to actually go and replay it and see if I still 
don't like it. <laughs> really, really disappointed that based on those Japanese footage, they've not fixed the laser sight issue. So the, no. the gun yeah. and the crosshair still don't match up to where the gun's actually aiming. It looks really rubbish. You do get Lady Honk, though. Uh, include, <laughs> yes. include, uh, included. Yay! <laughs> Woo! Female Doctor, Lady Honk. Jesus Christ. Whatever next. <laughs> Okay, uh, the Japanese are at it again with the release of the Pachinko Revelations game. No release date as of yet, however. So they're always exciting. Are they exciting? <laughs> we get some nice new CG footage, I guess. Did you ever, you guys ever see the Snake Eater one? You know, uh, Konami actually went in and like made brand new models for all the characters in Snake Eater, and they look amazing. Yes, and it's for like this Pachinko machine, I know. It's the same with the one with the remake. They've made new CG footage of like which matches the style of the original remake that Capcom made as well. Yeah, that's right. right. That was really good. That. Yeah. Although Jill was randomly in a Raccoon City outfit and a miniskirt was ripped. Was it? (laughs) Dirty perverts, Japanese. Yeah. Uh, Rumours are running amok over at NeoGAF that Not A Hero DLC won't be released until the last day of the season pass, which will coincide with the final DLC pack as well. Expected release date is now December, and uh, we've had an apology from Kawata as well, and has apologised to make it more action-based, so excitement, excitement. So It's strange about Not A Hero, it's, um, I think there'll be a lot of disappointed fans, but if they're making it, not starting again, but if they've acknowledged what's going on and didn't think it was up to scratch, then you know, it's good that they're taking their time to make it better. Well, there's rumours that they're working, they're reworking the story, isn't it? But I don't think that's the case. I think the original Not a Hero was completely outsourced and Capcom just weren't happy with what they got back. The information that was posted on NeoGAF recently was talking about gameplay mechanics that simply didn't work. Like, apparently, Lucas has been setting up turrets, like machine gun turrets, to target Chris and his men, and you weren't able to destroy them or something, so Capcom were fixing that. And there was some sort of upgrade system as well that Capcom apparently taken out so it seems to be just gameplay stuff they're working on. I'd be very surprised if there's any changes to the story, because surely all the dialogue and script and everything's already been pre-recorded. It's going to be a miracle if they can turn this shitstorm around the community, though. <laughs> so, um, yes, keep your eyes down on that. We'll, uh, we'll update you with any other news, I'm sure. And um, hopefully we'll have... Because obviously it's going to come out roughly the same time as the last DLC as part of the season pass. So who knows? Because then that might delay that DLC as well. Well, they're not under contract though to get it out before the end of 2017, or am I just? It might be the, it might be the end of the financial year 2017, mm. 2018. Um, uh. So by March 31st of next year. And then there's been also obviously the historic thing of other companies kind of replacing their original planned DLC with something else and reneging and not fulfilling a season pass, and and then they claim it's because of development issues so you know given that they've already delayed the free DLC it could impact on the paid one and do we, do we, hurry do we, up some more packs do we really think that's going to be as big as people are saying you know like a new character in a completely different area of the game I mean seems rather I would think it was I would think it was probably the original plan before the not a hero was delayed especially if the original version was outsourced because they might have been working internally on that new DLC isn't there a source somewhere saying the third piece is being directed by the lead designer of PT. Oh. I did see mm. something like that, or at least one yeah, of the, or at least some of the head staff were involved. Mm. I can't remember if that was confirmed or whether it's just a rumour. Well, I hope not. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know whether I want to play that in VR. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
And finally, did you enjoy Wesker's Thinking Blood from the last Resident Evil film? <laughs> no, no, of course you didn't. So thankfully, the Resident Evil movies are being scrapped and they're starting all again in true Hollywood style of the reboot. So yes, that's been confirmed. James Wan is rumoured to be behind the reboot. And he is behind such Oscar-baiting titles as Furious 7 and The Conjuring. And uh, apparently he's going to compromise with another six films. So and, brace yourself. And Kobayashi says they can't see them uh, moving away from the action approach of the movie. Ah, uh, there we go. It was a comment or something like that, wasn't it? Whole new cast, no Alice. So well, there's some silver lining, I suppose. You would, you would hope at least, like, I can see them not moving away the action part, but you'd hope by having someone like one, you would get at least a horror element in there too. Like, yeah. he's done Saw, he's done Conjuring, you know, like... And yeah, it would make sense. But yeah, what I find incredible is that so much lore now to the Resident Evil franchise, they could easily make any future film canon. It really wouldn't take a lot. So much of the recent games, it's a slippery slope. That's it a is a slippery slope. slope. How, how many times have we just had random biohazard incident in this part of the world? Random biohazard incident in this part of the world. You could easily have one somewhere else that its own little mini universe, but still part of the bigger universe. Personally, I, I would just like them to have their own spin on the mansion incident and the raccoon city outbreak. Yeah. yeah. That's what I would like. Yeah, damn. I think Anderson squandered the outbreak idea in Raccoon City drastically, mm. and, and his take on the mansion was really terrible, but the idea was there, and I would like to see that done properly, yeah? like just a decent take. I mean, that's the same thing, I, I guess it's probably worth mentioning, obviously, the sad news of Romero's passing just recently, mm. but say what you will about a script, it was a first draft, and at least at the core, I mean, character changes aside, the, the idea of the mansion and like the various types of enemies, not just zombies and stuff, are in there and it would be nice to see a take that includes some of the genetic mutations created by a virus like that yeah. that's one of the things that was really sorely missing in the Anderson film at first and then they started adding this ridiculous kind of over the it went from there was no middle ground to it it went from zombies to like over the top bioweapons that came later in the game series but they had a kind of natural progression of uh, escalation whereas in the movies and that never happened you just went yeah. zombies like a Giant beasts. Like, yeah. here's the executioner. Here's, you know, like, yeah, there's no middle ground to that. Well, there we go. Keep your eyes peeled for that as well. Site news. Uh, Newsbot has been at it again, translating the story archives that come with the Tokyo Maori Samurai Edge AWM-01 airsoft replica gun. Oh, yes, that's the gun that you kill said beast thing at the end of Resident Evil 7. It's caused quite a lot of debate. Evelyn, Nick. Evelyn, yeah, sorry. <laughs> the beast. The, the beast. beast. The beast thing, yeah. Uh, so well worth a read as he's translating it. It contains lots of information on the history of the guns, motivation of Wesker, and possibly some clues as to where the story's going with the revival of Umbrella. So um, that can generate some debate and discussion, I'm sure. Chaos that caused, because obviously it was supposed to be time to release with the Not A Hero DLC. <laughs> it's a really good read, though. Has any of you read it? Yes, no. yeah. It's worth mm. read. Yeah. Surprisingly detailed, actually. It is, yeah. They have been quite a good source, haven't they, these replica gun manual things in the past couple of years. They've given a lot more tidbits than perhaps the old uh, strategy guide things. Mm. But it's definitely interesting to see where they're going with this whole blue umbrella thing. Nowhere good. Yeah. Nowhere good.
Uh, we have some final bit of news. Um, starting with this podcast, we're going to be moving all our podcasts over to the PU Podcast YouTube page. We'll be slowly updating and uploading them to that, um, so you can leave comments, feedback, suggestions. Uh, try not to be rude. Don't like rude. And we can take some ideas from there for future podcasts. We are running out of material, let's be honest. So if anyone's got any ideas what we can do, that would be great. And they'll still be uploaded to Podbean as well, so you can easily download them from Podbean. They would be uploaded to Project Umbrella themselves, but that just doesn't work anymore because the site is KO'd. That does conclude the news. So let's move on to the main discussion of the podcast. We're talking Biohazard Vendetta. We're approaching the target, so let's go over everything one more time so there's no mistakes. The target is Glenn Arias. He's wanted internationally for weapons trafficking. And we're not talking about M16s and IEDs here. We're talking cutting-edge shit. He likes doing business anywhere there's a major conflict. Intel says that Arias is now in possession of a BOW, a.k.a. Bio-Organic Weapon. That's why the BSA is here. They know how to handle those things. One of our undercover agents, Kathy White, went missing a couple weeks ago along with her son, Zach. We have two objectives today. Find them and grab Glenn Arias. So this is the third CGI feature-length film that's been released by Capcom and various partners. Certainly a departure from the first two films. It's had quite a divisive impact, I would say, on the community. There's a lot of people that say it's the best one out of all three. Some people say it's absolute tripe. Uh, Well, let's see what our podcasters will say. We'll start with some brief impressions first. Um, Batman, we'll start with you. I thought it was okay. It wasn't the absolute disaster I was expecting, but it wasn't particularly great either. I would say it was the worst out of the three, but I say that only because it had all the elements that should have made it the best. You know, it had Chris Lee on two flagship characters. It had Rebecca's first time back on screen, uh, not counting the stage, obviously, since Zero. It had probably the best villain of the trilogy. The animation and overall look of the film was the best, but at the same time, it just felt really flat for me, particularly the second half. The New York outbreak just didn't really work at all for me. It was very rushed, and all the supporting characters, you just knew nothing about them. So... For me, it was okay, but pointless. What's the point of it? It doesn't add anything. Rombie? Yeah, pretty similar. I thought the animation was a nice increase over the last ones. Characters are really nicely detailed and everything. I really enjoyed that. I think on a basis level, the story is okay, but much in the same way, yeah, it doesn't really add or do much other than very self-contained and could easily not exist, and you'd be completely fine with what it means. There's some ridiculous logic situations in the dialogue and plot as well that I'm just a little bit like there's a few characters I'm a little bit like and um yeah overall I mean I I was entertained but yeah there's definitely problems with the film Ah. I have a lot of issues with the film a lot of issues uh mainly to do with the second half I think it's as the old football cliche goes it really is a film of two halves I found myself actually quite enjoying the first half um, and I was kind of wondering what everyone was going on about but it really 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 does deteriorate into the second half to a point where it's cringeworthy at times and it was it wasn't hard to watch per se but we'll go into a lot more detail about how the virus worked the motivations of everyone the use of Rebecca Leon don't even get me started on Leon and Oh, there's lots of issues, but, so, but it's hard because the film is so bipolar. As an overall package, it's all right. The first half is very good, I thought. The second half was a tripe. So overall, you know, it's a solid meh. 
<laughs> I hated every minute of it, Nick. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I think it is atrocious. I think the horror section in the opening isn't scary and doesn't work. I think the ending in New York is overblown nonsense that we thought Capcom had got out of their system when they made six. It has very little redeeming features for me, if any. Um, I think the characters, the paths they take the characters down don't work. I think, you know, Leon as Chris Resident Evil 6 version 2 was just uninspiring. Chris is just nowhere in it from a sort of story motivational point of view. The only thing that I got out of it was Rebecca, and if I'm perfectly honest, she was done much better on the stage. So I take very little from Vendetta. Uh, <laughs> and uh, as these chaps will know, the night I watched it, uh, I had a, a little bit of a breakdown on the internet, <laughs> which I have since uh, gotten over. But it just, it just, the whole thing just leaves me empty. It feels like we've been dragged back to, like, yet again, the sort of darker times of the series. I think that's one of the key points, isn't it? What, you know, and we'll probably get to that towards the end. What, what have we learned about... Capcom in, in making this film so I think that could be a lingering point we can think of as we go through the discussion so a lot of our podcasts we've been doing recently which I think has been working quite well and I think we've had some positive feedback is that we kind of go through the, the film or the game stage by stage act by act if you like so the film kind of starts off in Mexico allegedly although I'm not quite sure what part of Mexico has thick luscious evergreen type forests that pretty much resemble the Midwest of America. I don't know, but we'll just take their word from it that there are parts of Mexico that are like that. I don't know. Anyway. It kind of starts off very similar to the opening of Resident Evil 1 and of course we've got a homage as they enter into a very George Trevor inspired mansion. (laughs) I was going to say there's actually the cold open with Leon before that, which I'm just like, why does he sound so jaded? Yeah, I was like, what's going on here? And of course, that's to set up that mystery of why he's so jaded. Uh, does it really matter? Like, it's the most pointless like, little opening when it amounts to absolutely nothing at all towards the plot. I assumed it was setting up some sort of vendetta because obviously you find out later it's his team that he was set up with. But Leon never really claims at any point that he's taking, like, he takes back his you know, revenge on the fact that he was set up by this guy. Like, it's yeah. weird. Like, yeah. If they were going to cut out the botched operation for the DSO that's mentioned in the book, if they're going to cut all that out, you might as well have cut out that little scene at the beginning in the morgue. You're right, it makes no sense in context. That's not uncommon for films. You show a snippet of something and you find out the context of it, but it's just literally because it doesn't mean anything anymore. Like, obviously Mm. the intent is that he's devastated that someone set them up and that that's why he's drinking and blah, 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 and this should be the result for his character to be like, all right, this is my time to get my revenge, thus part of the triplicate that is the Vendetta title, essentially. But he doesn't ever have that moment. Chris has that moment. Glenn Arias has that moment, but he doesn't. So it mm. makes this opening really, really pointless. Sorry, I just need to get that out of the way. That was one it's... of the first things I was just like, oh, that was so annoying. It's fine. No, no, I, I take the point. Yes, I, I criminally neglected that opening scene, which is repeated later on, but I'm sure we'll come to it. So the first thing that struck me with the mansion bit at the beginning was that even though back in 1998, when Chris went there, you saw how much of an improved 
soldier he was at that point. And I kind of got a dig out of that. He was basically a repeat of Resident Evil 1. But I thought, even as an observer, because that's what he's there with the Mexican army, I kind of liked the fact that he was so much better now in the circumstances of being able to control the team, going in, marksmanship and all that, you know, hands up, finger gestures, whatever he's doing. He still gets them all killed, though. I, oh, yeah, yeah, I take that point. But I, I thought from, a, you know, as you're kind of watching... <laughs> It's an improvement, isn't it? It's bordering on character he, development. He, yeah, he feels like he's more in control than he was. My thing as well was the, the soldier on the plane that tells him the story about, you know, it's like, you've got to watch these people. You've got a family. I was like, that guy's going to die. Like, yeah. before <laughs> before everyone died, I was immediately like, at least that guy's going to die. I honestly wondered if the only reason they put him with Mexican special forces is just so they could say, well, at least he hasn't lost a third BSAA team in a row. Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting he was the only BSAA agent for something that they deemed quite serious. Mm. He's again. I raised that, yeah, that's what I said. Given the danger they sort of established Arius as being. And they know what you're looking for. Yeah. A full bioterrorism unit, not just... And I know Chris is supposed to be the best at what he does, but... Yeah. Well, I sort of got the impression the Mexican army were after him because of his conventional weapons trafficking and smuggling. And it was only because mm. they'd got intelligence that he was potentially in possession of BOWs did Chris come along as an observer. But then you'd still think the BSAA would say this is quite a serious matter given the potential for outbreaks as you've seen around the world. We should also provide a full team. Mm. That like, doesn't make any sense. Yes, that's true. So we, we kind of enter the mansion and um, I think musically you do hear hints of the of the original mansion theme i'm sure i did when i was watching it very very subtly in the background but this was pretty much the main hall from uh, the spencer mansion it was More ridiculous or less, yeah. i hated it i mean honestly how many times can we have the same variation of a mansion hallway <laughs> seriously you know I, I know they they've got away with it in the series by having you know george trevor d- design them all but you know the, the way they're building it in the resident evil universe is that he's literally designed every mansion hallway in the world <laughs> I would almost believe that in some respects. Like, Umbrella gives him this meaty contract of like, hey, we've got all these facilities, and he draws up more or less one design, and then goes, yeah, you can build them all like this. And they all have, like, these secret places and, like, you know, little hallways, and they can you can put a lab behind it. It's great. Great idea. I mean, I'd, I'd probably agree with you but if it was a game, but because this is a film and we're used to the films being so action-orientated, I could appreciate the five minutes of quiet time where they were just sort of exploring the rooms. I quite enjoyed it. I think that they had a quite a good build-up of tension. I think the only main difference between this hall and the other hall was that the, the corridors kind of went backwards as opposed to... It went you know, through it. Yeah. Yes, as a fair, apart from that. I was going to say, I came to the realisation that this scene is the answer for like hey you're a fan of the old games Mm. you'll not enjoy this creepy old mansion scene because the rest of this movie is going to be like the newer games where it's all action based so once we get into the action you're probably not going to enjoy that as much so we're trying to pander to both audiences that's literally what it it, it is it doesn't isn't that kind of aren't we in the same situation with like we were with six where it it tries to appeal to too many and ultimately ends up satisfying none of them yeah exactly Mm. They do make quite a few good points on the audio commentary about because it's CG, it's hard to replicate tension and suspense because you can't really do effective use of lighting and shadows in CG like you can in real time. There's talk specifically about the scene where you see the zombie hiding in the fireplace and stick its head down. They admit, you know, it's not terribly effective because it's CG and it would obviously work a lot better in live action. You know, I'd agree with them there, definitely. I would as well, actually. Yes, yes, I would. I thought it was quite interesting with the um, toy remote control 
monster yeah, trucks. Nice. I, I, I think nice. never look at monster trucks in the same way. And it was, I didn't know what it was doing. It's it kind of turning left. And it was like, was it telling you to look left? And it was quite, um, I, for a moment, I was worried that there was going to be a plot point as to where they needed to go next. I thought that's stupid. But thankfully it wasn't. I think if you I, watch with subtitles on, because that's Zach, isn't it? Yeah. I think when Chris comes in and goes, Zach, he goes, he says, yeah. Does he? Yeah. Yeah, he does. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Hey, Umbrella Corps had this. Talking zombies, <laughs> yeah. guys. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah, I was wondering to know if anyone else picked that up too, because I had subtitles on when I was watching it as well. And you hear, good blame me, you hear it. When you watch the subtitles, I had to take it back and go, hey, did he actually say that? And I was like, he actually did. You see, listeners, you watch a movie like this and you think you hit bottom, and then you listen to the <laughs> podcast and you find there's an even lower bar to find. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, I thought the zombies looked good. They looked as good as they've ever looked. A bit over the top on the blood at times, but I think when like Zach did open his mouth, you could see all the you know the tendons in his mouth kind of dislocating. I thought that looked really effective, mm. uh, very detailed. I was really annoyed about the characterization of the Mexican army guys because I'm sorry, I'm sure they're probably well trained to worry about threats. But if you see someone like covered in blood like that, you don't just ask like, "Are you okay?" Like mm. you, you would put your weapon up and like literally say, "Don't move, freeze," or at least you know try and threaten them to see what response you get. Like he doesn't do anything; he keeps his weapon down, and then you think <laughs> you think. Over, like, I mean, if we're assuming that it's 2014. Is it set? Oh well, we'll come to that later. Um, yeah. You know, the world has been you know seeing bio creatures and all sorts for like 16 years now and, and it is mind-numbing that they still behave that way and still think that like you say someone covered in blood is potentially okay and in no way the you know the walking <laughs> dead that they've seen decimate entire cities like the previous films it suffers from extremely quick turnover time from human to zombie um, which is fine i think it's you can plot based you, yeah, I forgive. I mean, I think Degeneration was probably the first ever kind of media where someone turned ridiculously quick from being bitten in the airport. And you kind of, you, you give it that kind of pass that you go, okay, fine, for the purposes of the story, I'll, I'll let you have it. Because I thought initially, because that chap was bitten, wasn't he, after the Zack attack, and he kind of went out and was like, I was thinking, surely, because at this point we didn't know what virus it was, I thought, they must have a vaccine on them. Because the T-virus vaccine, wasn't it well made, well distributed by this point? Yes. So you would have thought that Chris would have had a had a vial on him. If he knows he's going into a potential biohazard situation, there's a good chance the T-virus was going to be there, or some variant of it. My initial thought was, quick, give him an antivirus. Now, obviously, it probably wouldn't have done anything, but I think something they did miss there, maybe. I like the way the zombies were more aggressive, though, because the zombies in D-generation were just sort of cannon fodder. They never really came across as any kind of threat. And even the Ganado in Damnation were quite slow and lacklustre. That was one of my issues. Like, I don't have a problem with the idea of that, but it's inconsistent, which was my issue. It's like you've shown them as very slow and everything, and all of a sudden that this variant virus has made them much faster, and there's no real reason. They shouldn't be, but they are. That was my first clue that it wasn't T-virus, because they were acting different. They were running uh, as well. Quite Run, yeah, it's very 28 days later style, wasn't it? That kind of um, that kind of style. But yeah, I think the overall mansion, but up to this point, it's quite quite creepy, quite atmospheric, and you kind of feel for the captain, don't you? Because they all get then dragged under the bed, and it's it's quite gruesome. You know? The zombie in the dining room with its exposed spinal cord was pretty good. Yes, I was wondering if that was a nod to uh, Brain Dead. 
Yeah, that was a first. We've never. I initially thought it was a new, a, a random BOW or something, but it was when we kind of realised it was half a woman left just with her spinal cord. I thought, oh, that's quite cool. That's the um, type of variation I want to see. What did everyone think of the uh, wire trap? You mean the blatant <laughs> homage to Paul Anderson's first movie? Yeah, I just fucking great. Want to say that. <laughs> Oh, the bitterness. I thought the wire thing, which I have seen in another horror, I was like, that's a horror movie trope regardless of Anderson's thing, because yeah. that's also cute, which yeah, is where Anderson cute, got yeah. idea from. I was like, hmm, okay, that's an interesting choice. Was it like a wire, did they just suddenly move? or They couldn't have just walked into they, it? They ran into them, which killed them, but they only just realised as they got sliced through hundreds of pieces of what would probably be like piano wire. or Like what, the, in the film Ghost Ship? Yeah, exactly like the opening to that. Yeah. You start to see the, like, the lines appear and then they just slide. It was a nice introduction for Arius as well, just to be standing there watching it. And then he just quietly walks off. I thought that was quite a nice introduction for him. We can yeah, file I... it in the uh, list of yeah, things that the Anderson movies have had an impact on uh, the Resident Evil games. Can I also talk about the uh, Arius fight? Can people remind me again? We're gonna, we, I'm going to bring up the time frame thing again now. Where exactly is this place again? It's possibly late 2013, early 2014. We're not sure. Exactly. And who is Chris faced at this point who was probably faster, stronger, <laughs> you know, <laughs> one particular villain that probably would have been much better than Glenn Arius? And yet he seems to get his ass handed to him. And I'm like... Mm. The only thing is, in the, in the novel, Chris is actually injured in the explosion. Which the film doesn't tell you. He's oh, when he jumped, he jumped, jumped. Yeah, the, the, the novel describes him nursing a quite serious leg injury. I'll be honest, though, I like the fight scene. I thought it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to disagree. I think as a fight scene, I was like this. It feels very much inspired by a lot of the modern kind of. There's the mixture of various martial arts, kind of UFC, uh, close quarters combat mix, and the sort of stuff you're seeing in like John Wick and and that. I I, I liked it as a motion captured fight scene. Really, really good. Just to be, to be honest, out of context. it's the best fight scene in cinema history when you compare it with what happens later in the movie, which we'll get into. Because, <laughs> oh my fucking days, what they do later. He does it in a suit, though, Sean, so, you know. Oh my fucking think. God, oh my does, Jesus. Does it with style? No. I was going to say, in this fight scene, I mean, he does it in a suit, and I was going brisk to that. But no, this is a good scene, but I just the context of it is what bugged me the most. I was like, if he hadn't been injured, then I would have been like, yeah, that's okay. But Doesn't the yeah. um, book describe he, uh, Arius is ex-CIA <laughs> as well, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes. So he'd have had a lot of combat training whereas in the movie in the movie it just it doesn't even really does it ever describe his backstory no they could have and then and it wouldn't have made any difference but yeah and then the cyborg thing appears oh god i was like we didn't to turn up that's just the problem with the series as a whole at the moment they have these really really good scenes and then they just ruin it by having something monumentally stupid happen straight afterwards like the fight scene was good i thought the way he was slowly disarming the rifle and using the rifle against chris that was good and then the bit of dialogue where he talks about being a businessman and disarming the gun yeah that was nice and then you see this fucking thing walk out of the shadows and it's just a joke <laughs> There's just this, this fascination seems to be carrying on that they just like massive giant guys with miniguns in this series and you know to me they never fit in 4 or even worse in 5 and you know they're still here and I just can't understand why we have to have giant toting minigun people in this series it's 
stupid. They actually say on the commentary at one point, I don't know who it is, it's either the producer or the executive producer, it wouldn't be Resident Evil if it didn't have massive explosions, a massive <laughs> mutated creature at the end, and scantily clad women. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, what's wrong with these people? What? <laughs> Where was the scantily clad people in the original game? Exactly. I'm sorry. And 2, and 3, and Survivor, and Code Veronica. And Code Veronica. A little bit. Oh, As it happens, you know, I, I completely agree with Sean with regards to these stupid, uh, hulking people, B.O.W.s, that, you know, resemble Bane from Batman. I have a less of a problem with this one than, say, Ustanak. Uh, just because of the way he kind of ends, I think that made a bit more Resident Evil sense. I liked Ustanak. Yeah, I was going to say, Ustanak had a purpose. He had a good backstory, whereas this guy just turns up from nowhere and he doesn't get any explanation. He's purposely there for the resolve of the end. They went backwards, I think, on his character. They went, we need a character that sets up Glenarius's, because we're going to kill him off and make it look like he's defeated him, but now he's going to come back as a creature and we have to justify that. How can we do that? This creature who you think has already been defeated but isn't, and then they went backwards. It's pretty obvious. I'm not talking about the story. Like I'm, I'm, I'm talking biologically how that creature is created. And this is where I have a problem with things like Ushtanak and, and Desu and El Gigante because there's just no real explanation as to how and why that thing was possibly created. Whereas I think with Diego, I think there was a degree of... Because it's basically the T-virus uh, and the way you see him mutate had remnants of Mr. X you know, and the older tyrants. There's a bit more feasibility or plausibility, should I say, with it than Ushtanak, which, again, there's no real explanation as to why Ushtanak's like that comparatively to other C-virus B.O.W.s. You know, how does Ushtanak in any way resemble big water creature from the end of Six? Chaos, whatever his name is. House, house. You know, that's... I, I think that's my... That's where my issues were with Six, and less so with Diego. And uh, Yeah, so Maria was interesting as well, because, you know, big boob, scantily clad person. At this point in the movie, of course, we don't really know what she's up to. I was going to say, going on that comment about um, explosions and scantily clad women and stuff, they immediately follow up the scantily clad woman with the giant explosion. So, <laughs> you know, which I was but like, we... uh, okay, that's what this is. <laughs> and we get the hint of the storyline, i.e., uh, as I said, I like the fact that Arius was a businessman, and he goes, and he talks about his weapons as products to mm. buy and sell I don't think we've ever really seen that as much we've had hints of it in like Dead Aim and stuff but no one's really talked about them as products not from an, a voice or anything like that so and I like his storyline that these products are able to differentiate between friend and foe I thought okay I like that as an idea but the problem is it's undercut immediately by the fact that once you find out what he's planning on doing he's kind of like understands that it will create some sort of demise for a large chunk of the human race which is included includes the potential that he might die himself he seems okay with it which is this weird conundrum where he seems like very straightforward thinking in there I don't know he seems a character that was just way more interesting in the trailer you know, there, there, seemed, there seemed to be a lot more hit. Like, there's a, a moment in the trailer where they edited it where he actually holds Chris's gun. The context of it with regards to the trailer is completely different to what it is when you actually see that moment in the movie. It's a shame. Let's trailers in a nutshell all the time. There's lots to talk about with the virus, and I'm sure we'll get to it. But that kind of concludes the, the first act, and then we are whisked off the way to Alex is Alexander University. Well, we get to see some of Arius's backstory again. You didn't mention, Nick that at the end of that sequence we're given the first of many of a character screaming into the sky cradling a dead body. <laughs> oh my god! I, <laughs> I, I, oh I yeah, in front of the explosion. Masterpiece shot there. 
Yes, I've got a note that we also had a Darth Vader style. No. Yeah, that's the first no. of. That's the first of I think four in the movie. Is Only it first, four? I thought it was more than that. Well, I think you get this one, then you get the flashback with Arius, and then I think they flash back to them later within a minute of each other later on. But it's atrocious. Interspersed oh, by those yeah. stunning James Bond titles as well. I was just waiting for like silhouettes of Leon to be running in the background and <laughs> firing bullet time. <laughs> I was going to say as well, actually, in the no moment as well, the one in the, this is the reason why I mentioned the, the wedding scene. There seems to be a disproportionate amount of women getting their arms blown off in this movie <laughs> as well. I saw that, yes. Lots of limbs yes. flying. About. There's limbs flying. Every time a woman gets killed, there seems to be limbs flying. I don't know what that means. Something in Japanese, perhaps. I don't know. But So, sorry, I, I skipped a bit and said, yes, we now see the implied reason as to why there's a vendetta with what can only be described as the world's worst wedding. Being hit by a drone can't be the, uh, the best way to tell the kids. I found that shot where they show the explosion. It's really, really wide. It plays comically. Mm. Did anyone else feel that? Like, instead yeah. of it being really visceral and close, you've got this wide shot and all of a sudden it's just like... Oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. Like, it reminds me of an old cartoon. It just it, it completely the tone is literally all over the fucking place. It just has no idea what it wants to be at all, this movie. And in the book, doesn't it actually show Diego saving Glenn? Yes. And that's why he's also pissed off because he wanted him to save Sarah. Yes, that's right, yeah. Mm. That would have been a bit more exposition. That's so much better. Why is that not the movie? And Sidney just wakes up under a pile of rubble with the dead hand attached to his hand. I've actually got it playing in silent and on another screen, and it's just it's just comical. That bit you just mentioned, the uh, distant shot of the. You're right, it's hilarious. I just just paused it. I went, okay, see what you were trying to do there, but what you just did was unintentional. It's just Wiley Coyote blowing himself up. Screaming is fucking fucking horrifically bad. So I suppose the question is do we know know, where where this drone came from? It's mentioned in the novel again, isn't it? I think it just says a certain government. I'm not sure yeah, if it's the US it's government, because Leon doesn't know anything about it, but I suppose it could be. I'm not pointing fingers, but it looks like the type of drone the United States currently uses. Yeah. <laughs> and I assume that if he was a rogue, given the plot now that you've made the comment about uh, CIA or something like that, it would make sense that perhaps they were trying to cover up a mistake that they had, had, mm. had accidentally created. Yeah. It would make yeah. sense. Wow. Okay. So I personally think so far so good ish. I thought it was a um, bit creepy, a bit kooky, and uh, it was a kind of a nice recent Resident Evil introduction, if you like. It was up there with a bingo from RE4. So uh, <laughs> we are then jetted off to the university to meet everyone's favourite stars member, Rebecca Chambers. Yes. And <laughs> she's pretty. She's good. I think out of everyone in the film, she was probably handled the best. I liked her voice actor. I think she added a lot of gravitas to the role, and she felt the most genuine out of everyone. Her character uh, felt like a natural progression. Hmm. I'm going to go yes and no. I like the characterization. I think everything, but in the end, she just becomes a damsel in distress again. And I was just like, oh, come on, Capcom, come on. I think the she problem is as well. Fine. It's for us, you know, the, the, the sort of people who absorb everything that's given to us we've seen this similar scenario with Rebecca in the stage uh, you know where she gets captured and has to be rescued by Chris mm. and all that and, and this just felt like a, a repeat beat of that and I did just think she was a better character in the stage 
Yeah, I was uh, longing and, and, and for a stage I, reference. It infuriates me that it continues to be the same. That repetition is the same trend. It's not even just the stage. It's just like a lot of the time, it's a female character, the old classic, the princess in a castle kind of thing. Like, it's just like the castle is Arius's thing. It's like, oh God, how cliche. Oh. Like, could we not do something different? Like, does she have to be captured? Why does she have to be captured? We have to have justification for all this. I mean, I agree with everything you've said there, Rob. I still would say her inclusion is the single highlight for me. Yeah. You know, I, I, got, I got a real kick out of seeing her again, actually. I think her explanation for why she's doing the work she's doing on the flight with the BSAA was really good. I think her characterization was really good. I like her sense of humor that she's got about what's going on in light of such darkness. It's really awesome. It seems very much within her character. I, I really did like the characterization. I just hate the what they did with her. I think it's fucking miraculous. And again, you know, you can't chew the film up too much because movies are ultimately based on coincidences. But isn't it just amazing that she discovers the cure for the virus seconds before they get attacked (laughs) and she she has to use it again i don't chew the film out too much because a lot of movies would do that you know like you you, you look at something like aliens and it's just amazing that uh you know ripley Mm. is found around the same time the colony falls you know it's just miraculous but the thing is when you watch something like aliens i don't notice that you just accept it as part of the storytelling whereas in this i was like fucking hell there's a good thing she got that cure sorted literally 30 seconds before this uh (laughs) Yeah. But, yes. Yeah. But at least they explain it a little bit later on, don't they? Because that's why the university was attacked because she had created a cure. She yeah. she had previously expected that the cure was attainable, and she was just waiting for the simulation. So obviously, it's yeah. provide the information. Yeah. Which at least yeah narrows that down a little bit. But it's still a coincidence that she just happened to, to actually create yes. it literally. Yeah. The, and the worst part is there would have been a reason to her to already have it and not have it created, where she makes the comment about um you know we can synthesize it really quickly now to kind of justify the fact that they'd already they could make it mm-hmm. but they could have already made it like that scene didn't require her to have just made it it could have been like oh we synthesized this yesterday and it needs to be tested and that would have been a perfect good yeah. example like yeah. but it's literally like the simulation completes to a hundred percent and then i think all the lights drop yeah <laughs> you know what was the name of her assistant i can't remember his name poor coffee guy aaron aaron yeah dessert coffee guy I was like, that guy's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You're too isn't friendly. That, you're going to die. First. Isn't that a frustrating thing where we are with the series, though, now? It's like, there's so many, what, what would you call them, red shirts? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Now, you know, it's like every time you get introduced to a new character, you just don't put any stock in them because you know they're going to be killed. You even look at someone like Piers, and I didn't think they were going to kill him. I thought he was going to stick around for a bit, but now they fucking killed him. <laughs> oh, but the, the makers laugh about it, though. I mean, I, I know I keep referring to the commentary, but it is, it's a good read because obviously you need the subtitles. But when they introduce Damien, on the BSAA guy on the plane with the Mohican oh. haircut, they actually say, as soon as you see the guy with the Mohican, you know he's going to die. <laughs> and they just laugh oh. about it. They laugh, they laugh about it. But this is this oh. is the reason why they're not they're not bothered they about him creating compelling Fox. characters. Mm. Like that's the problem I have with this movie. Probably above all, I, I, I can forgive a lot of issues, and the final third especially is really bad. But the problem I have with it, because I watch a lot of movies, that's my main thing. A lot of the time is I will watch a lot of movies more than probably the average person, and I see cliches coming a mile away because I'm so used to every other film that does them. And it's just like, instead of it being an original story, it just feels like, hey, we've rehashed the stories we've done before in this franchise. We're also rehashing every cinematic cliche you could ever imagine. Yeah. Um, hope you enjoy it. Like, so, <laughs> come on, guys. You've got a real original idea buried under here that could have been really well done. But instead, every time there's a, an obvious path to go down, you just went down the obvious path. Some points I noticed. It's a very quiet university. 
Well, they mention all the students are away, which is why Aaron has to go and get the samples from the bodies they've got. Now, these sample bodies, these have come from the other attacks that they mentioned around the Great Lakes. And we later find out that these weren't intentional Mm. outbreaks. Accidental, yeah. yeah. Accidental. So that's where they got the samples. Now, in this novel, I believe, it was Maria sneaks herself into a body bag. That yeah. would have been interesting. As one of the what? samples. Why did they the cut all these really good ideas? <laughs> the novel seems like a vastly improved version of what we got. It really does. It's like somebody saw the movie and then went, there's a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense here. Let's add some backstory. Well, this shouldn't be happening. I mean, it's the same in, um, you know, John, you've said the same about Covenant, haven't you? I mean, Covenant is a fucking terrible movie. I hated it as well. But you've got a novel version of it that actually flushes out the characters better it gives you more motivations and it just this is not the right way around it should be happening no I think it just comes down to budget reasons though because Kobayashi obviously is the one who's pushed for the action side of things and mm. They make a good point of saying just because it's CG doesn't mean they can put in as many explosions as they want. You know, every every single explosion they do has to be drawn separately. And because that's such a time-consuming and expensive process, it means in order to have the amount of explosions they want, they have to cut down on other elements. And unfortunately, the other elements that get cut down are the smaller character moments. Do you know the answer to that? Cut down on the bloody explosions. I know, but that's... You don't need explosions. But according to Kobayashi, you do need explosions. That's the problem. No, you don't need explosions. Kobayashi, you're... I'm sorry, you're absolutely clueless when it comes to this. This this is every cliche beat of the franchise in a nutshell. It's just like, if you want to do something different with it, don't just pander to the same things. But him and Kawata, these are the guys that are running this franchise at the minute. I know. And they all seem to want the same things. I mean, you know, really, in hindsight now, how the fuck Seven happened is a fucking miracle. (laughs) Well, it really is. It only happened because Six critically did really poorly. Like, it sold okay, but it wasn't the expectations. Like, Capcom could already see having to downgrade its sales forecast. But the thing is, and then they did those surveys, which obviously told them that people do like the haunted mansion elements as well, and people did respond to certain parts of Six that were a bit more horror-oriented. But um, this franchise is still just as fractured. I mean, this movie is a perfect example where it it wants to please all the audiences. Oh, it really does feel like we wound the clock back to... 2012. Part of this might be the fact that obviously this has a long lead time. Like this was probably written and planned many years in advance. It probably took them two to three years. So at that stage, they were kind of probably hoping six had been a smash success at the time they were starting to develop this. Probably. When was this first announced? I seem to think it was a long time ago. This one's been in development for a while, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it was 2016, but they started writing it in 2015. Okay. Okay. So you're still talking about sort of post-remake, then? They must have seen the desire for a sort of more horror-orientated experience. But... Mm. So you see the attack, the university shuts down, and we have a uh, an airborne T-virus type. Well, we, we don't know what virus it is at this point, but you have a, an airborne one. Again, I thought it was a bit of a homage to the first Resident Evil film. I don't think we've ever seen a virus do that in the uh, in the games. I do think the, the T-virus in Code Veronica is airborne, though, isn't it? I think it's quite clever how the air virus works, even though it's essentially just another zombie virus. How it works is quite clever. Well, I'm going to come on to that. Out, yeah. I've got big issues about the air virus. This is going to be great. Well, I, well, we may as well do it now. I We're just... going to because Nick, you're ready to go on this in like a full cannon way. Let, let's go. What is the <laughs> point of pre-infecting people? Because you can choose who you can save and who you don't want to save. Well, just make sure they're not in the city. 
I know, but sometimes you can't do that. Like this example in the university is a good one because Maria can infect the entire university knowing that she won't get attacked by the zombies because she's already had the vaccine. Yeah. That, that's what makes it clever in this respect. It, to me, as a weapon, like that makes sense too because you can go into a location, yeah. say, I want to attack that foreign country. I go into that foreign country, I detonate a giant fucking area bomb kind of thing with where I can actually be in the country and I won't get attacked and I can freely just escape yeah. without anyone being un- none the wiser. So. In New York, if Arius wanted to serve his associates, he'd give them the vaccine first and then he could infect the entire city knowing that they'd still be safe because they wouldn't mutate and they wouldn't get attacked by the zombies. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take that point. But at the end of the day, if they just have the have a vaccine, then they'll be safe anyway. No, because the difference here is that they won't get attacked. Hmm. So the the thing essentially just also stops them from being a target. That's why you see that scene in the opening bit with Arius and how the zombies completely ignore him and the rest of the the crew. I'm going to come back to the university scene. We're talking about the coincidence about the 30 seconds beforehand. It's also a highly coincidental that Rebecca's the only person that manages to get herself back up and like even slowly progress through the building without <laughs> completely immediately passing out like everyone else does. Yeah. Everyone else just collapses on the ground and they don't move again. And it's like... <laughs> I was hoping to see Rebecca kick a bit of ass. Not too much, just a little bit to show that she's got a bit of skill. She kind of like sees Aaron devouring that person. You know, proper brutal, you know, eating. With the homage to the original game there too. Yes, yeah, I like I like that, I like that. And then she's kind of a bit, ooh, I know she's, un- yeah. she's, she's infected, I get, you know, well, she's, you know, she's nearly, nearly dead, but she's a bit kind of, ooh, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, hold on, love, you've destroyed a bloody mutant leech. You've taken down a tyrant. Yeah. This was going back to my characterization thing. It's just like, I like a character, but the way they treat her in the story is like, again, the damsel in the street, she doesn't really fight back. We know she's capable of doing so. Mm. I mean, they even touch on the fact that she went from special forces to working on virus research for vaccines and stuff to the university because she was interested in the medical side, which is perfectly fine, but it kind of underplays the fact that we know she's capable in combat. She looks she fabulous is. with dark hair, though. <laughs> I like the scene with her and Chris in the hotel room. Hmm. There you go. I actually said I like something about Vendetta. There you go. <laughs> I was going to say, you skipped over this, my favourite scene in the entire movie, which yeah. is an underpinning of an issue I've had for years, which is the conversation outside where she needs to go to quarantine and then she chides him about not having protective gear. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I love that scene. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe they admitted this in the franchise. That's so good. I had a good um, chuckle. See, when the film you know actually slows down and is just about like two characters talking to each other i really like it but because they only do that on about two occasions during the entire movie the bit i'm on at the minute is uh, nadia talking to rebecca that scene's quite good as well because that's the scene you were talking to earlier isn't it about rob about her explaining yeah. why she does what she does say what you will about also the scene with leon with his motivation but that scene also where they have conversation where they have a heated argument between him and chris and then rebecca kind of becomes the mediator that's a really good scene as well again like actual dramatic tension there's you know the justification for leon's background is forced but the conflict is well written what's great about that scene is at that point and we're going to get there naturally as we go through the the breakdown is at that point rebecca looks like she's about to take charge of the movie and become the main character yeah Yeah. which is which is why it's all the more fucking frustrating what happens literally like two minutes after that but Uh but we'll get there yeah we'll get there remind me of the context nick where are we so we've got the bsa bringing their silver dagger elite unit and we thumbs up (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah 
I did get a bit of a fanboy. Yay! Because <laughs> it's so cheesy in RE0, but they've only thought, you know, let's put it back in. It's a character thing, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was good, that was good. So we meet up with Damien, Nadia, and I'm sure a tribute to DC Douglas in DC. Possibly, I never thought of that. Well, yeah, he's been Wesker now for since... What, Umbrella Chronicle? Ten years. Well, he still is effectively the spokesperson for the series, isn't he? He does a lot of con appearances. and He just literally put up a thing saying he'd just celebrated ten years. So Excellent. So I assumed it was a nice little nod to uh, DC Douglas's work, which I think we can all agree has got progressively better over the years. So. He's definitive now, I would say. I think he's far ahead of the rest in terms of his ability. But then yeah, that's been the same since five, I think. So what did we feel about these new people? We didn't really get to spend a huge amount of time with them. Where's this silver dagger come from? And what's what's the point of it? And why isn't Nadia Sophie... Or Jill. Because that would have that just been oh, so yes. awesome if um, Sophie Home, is it? Hmm, her name, if she'd, if she'd come back to be in this. And then you'd have had like a real awesome connection between like the stage and this. Yes. But everybody likes Sophie. I'm guessing <laughs> I'm guessing a combination of the number of people in the audience who wouldn't I mean, yeah, there's no reason not to, but they'll like probably like, Oh well, we can't put in a character that nobody knows, but that wouldn't make any difference because these are all characters that nobody knows, but they might be thinking of that. This, um, this maybe just... also to raise the potential stakes about who could potentially die and who wouldn't die. This is just potentially one of those frustrating disconnects that happen between the CGI movies and the games because, you know, really, the natural progression from Degeneration would have had Angela Miller as the Leon partner character for Six. Hmm. Which is ironic because they say Nadia is a former LAPD SWAT team officer. (laughs) There's no real links at all to the previous two CGI films. So they could have easily... Other than characters, yeah, there's no... Yeah, they could have slotted it in and just had done with it. And, um, you know, would it have been the end of the world if Angela died? No. I felt that scene where they talking about Breaking Bad was really forced. (laughs) (laughs) Right at the end, I was like, was that really necessary? (laughs) It's like, I get the idea you're setting up some characterisation here, but it was really awkwardly placed. Well, that's been the main focal point as to when this is set and when it's likely a conversation like that would have happened. I know that's been running rampant on Biohaze. Really? <laughs> I didn't you say that. There's a reason you're here, isn't there? You're after someone. Yeah. A man named Glenn Arias. Who's that? He took over New Umbrella and Trisol's operations. And now he's selling the weapons they created to crime syndicates and countries at war. He's a merchant of death. Using mercenaries and VOWs to do his dirty work. And now... The dead are rising again. And you're sure Arius is behind it? Yes. And after I found out that your research was the most advanced in the world, I got You hopped on a chopper and came to see me. Yes. And after I saw how trashed your lab was, it looks like the bad guys knew about your research, too. I reported our initial findings to the WHO, and then they sent it to facilities all over the world that specialize in the development of vaccines. The leak could have come from any of those places. Exactly. Arius wanted to disrupt your research, and now that he's got your data, he's even more dangerous. I compared the new virus's DNA to all the bioweapons we have on file. The sequence is extremely close to the parasitic weapons used by the Los Illuminados cult. You think Arius might be one of them? Based on information I have now, I'm not sure. 
Looks like we should go talk to a real expert. Real expert? But just to go one step back, that scene in the hotel, which I agree with Sean, is a really nice scene. What did you think of the random Los Illuminados link that just seemingly came out of nowhere? Yeah. <laughs> we need to justify Leon's appearance, that's what it felt like to me. But, exactly, you know. yeah, exactly. Did anyone else find it funny as well when Rebecca spent like five minutes explaining everything and Chris was just like, nah, we need to go and speak to a real expert. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like, a real expert? (laughs) On the verge of bursting into tears. (laughs) They could have really said the Kennedy report. Imagine if that was actually the case, and then she turns up and finds this guy drinking first thing in the morning at the table, and you're like, and she's like, this is the expert. Yeah. (laughs) But they could have easily done that, because um, the way it then works in the next scene is that Leon and Rebecca have already met, but if they hadn't, then you could have had that line, and that would have flowed quite naturally. Hmm. Yeah, there is no link to Los Illuminados. It's a total red herring, isn't it? Yeah, it's just to put Leon in there. Well, there's, there's something in the air virus from the plague, oh, yes, the no, plague yes. but it's never really elaborated fully yes. what it is. It's tenuous. And, and, though, and Rebecca, seems, Rebecca kind of dismisses that to a certain extent anyway once she realises how, like, she, she obviously overlooks that part of it, which is the bit that Arius points out. Um, and then afterwards, she kind of, and yeah, it never becomes a plot point again. It's... They ask Leon about it, doesn't he? And he goes, oh, I don't remember. And then they just don't, <laughs> don't mention it ever again. Mention it yeah, because again. they've got him in the movie, job done. Mm. I was also going to say, uh, at what point during Resident Evil 4 did he become an expert in bioengineering when he was exploring the labs in RE4? All I can remember doing was just hitting regenerators with a shotgun, not going, ooh. You got people out of the oven. Got people out of the oven. But at no point did he get, did he have an intricate working uh, knowledge of how he had, to, he had to use the computer to remove the plagas from him and Ashley, which is essentially just a push to start machine anyway, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Here's Rebecca giving a detailed analysis of how the virus DNA or something is similar to that of a plagas. Let's go find someone who's beating the shit out of plagas. Perhaps they'll be. <laughs> He's the expert. Let's yeah. go see the criminal expert. <laughs> then he doesn't care. He's all like, oh, I don't remember. What a great expert. <laughs> now we're here to this point. You know, Leon, really, his inclusion is just, it's just hopeless. It adds nothing. And just being, uh, like I say, a Chris in RE6 version 2 is just... Uh, well, this is this is why I mentioned the start, right at the start, like why I brought it up. Because I didn't mind that cold when I'd seen it, obviously, watching the movie the first time. I was like, okay, that's an idea. Where's this going? And then when you find out what it is, you're like, okay. But then, as I said, like it has no bearing on his character motivation. He's real jaded. Okay, fine, I get that. He's upset about this team. That's understandable and that he's set up. But then the payoff is that he just goes back to ass-kicking, shooting at cars and causing them to explode with people dying. And, civilians. And civilians dying. And just general levels of ass-kickery and putting himself in potential hazards you know okay fine but he seems completely okay with it again afterwards like it meant absolutely nothing i was like well there's no vendetta for him so that's completely out even though that was clearly supposed to be the idea there's no justification for this character to be a big mopey mess other than plot like here it needs to be a setup for his character and then again as we've just been talking about it's really forced how we got there anyway so it's like you might as well not had leon in this movie whatsoever other than to have him turn up at the end of the movie so the thing is as well like we don't get any of the leon that damnation ended on where he's very sort of questioning his role isn't he 
Well, we get a little bit of that. I mean, one thing I quite liked was how he, not necessarily the drunkenness and that he's pissed off at the deaths of his team, but how he's just disillusioned with the whole situation of no matter how many bioterrorists they kill, someone else will always take the place and they're just stuck in an endless loop. I quite liked that, and I'm surprised none of the other characters have brought it up before. Yeah, I'll give it. I'll, I'll give him that. I'm struggling, though, with what? Leon's character. I don't think they've actually done a good character job on Leon since Resident Evil no. 2. Resident <laughs> Evil 4 was all right. But Resident Evil 4's issue is that because they had to basically restart over, essentially, they're like, we're going to use Leon again, but the story's going to be new and disconnected from the rest of it. His characterization is kind of always in the moment, and he's just yeah. kind of... Somewhat controversially, I actually think my favourite appearance of Leon is in Degeneration. Oh, which no, I, I was about I, to say that's I, awful. I know he's, like, all superhero-worthy in it, but... I don't know, I just it worked for me at the time, I think. It was nice oh, that no. they'd hammered out the sort of wisecracking version of Leon from the English translation of 4 because mm. I hated all that I hated that I quite liked him just being a sort of silent protagonist he's, he's just cold yeah. he's so cold and that's the problem because they brought back Claire who's exactly as you would imagine she would be after experiencing all this and she, he just doesn't play off against Claire at all in oh, I don't know Nick I love their scene in the tent together is my favourite scene in the entire film you get the reference to Chris in there and that I think it's really nice it's a nice moment between them oh, I don't know I, I felt it was very jarring comparatively to how they interacted in RE2 where despite the graphical limitations and the shoddy voice acting actually as the game went on in shoddy? RE2 it was a bitch. You? It's a bitch. Paul Haddad's a legend. He is, no, he is. But you, you felt at the end, it was, you know, you felt you were cheering them on and you just don't give a shit about Leon. I would agree with that. As I said, so forced into this film. I'm not quite sure what he brought to the role. Didn't you always get the impression that for the CGI movies, they'd handpick Leon as their main character? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he's, so he's sort of, the continual thread, yeah. Yeah, so they created the story for Vendetta and thought, well, fucking hell, we need to put Leon in here somewhere. So this is why they have this nonsensical backstory for him. It's one of the best scenes in the film, though, where Rebecca's basically chastising the both of them. Yeah, she's mm. great. Yeah, mm. yeah, it is. It's what um, RE6 should have done. I do wonder if they thought, right, Ducati wants to be in this film. We're definitely putting a Ducati motorbike. Which one of our characters can ride Ducatis? Or oh which one? God, it's and they thought, awful. And perhaps they worked it that way and go, well, we can't really have Chris doing all that because he's now 88 or whatever old he is. And, <laughs> you know, and I, I just think they go, the only person we can do is Leon, so we may as well... Leon, put... yeah, I could possibly understand that too. And yet Jake's motorcycle antics in Six are amazing compared. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we skip ahead. So we, we are in uh, deepest Colorado in a lovely mountain retreat. Um, I do believe in the book we get to see a lot more Nadia and DC and Damien and they have a little fisty fight out the back mm. with Diego and whatnot. But just remind me, because I'm watching it silently, so I, don't, I can't remember. Why are they in Colorado as well? They're just to get snatch Rebecca, aren't they? They've followed Rebecca because Arias has heard that she's escaped from the university alive and he can't understand why because she should have mutated mm. so he believes her vaccines obviously worked so he wants to capture yeah. her and when he actually sees her on the CCTV and realises she looks exactly like his wife oh my god fucking hell he then, want, he then wants <laughs> then her alive on, yeah. and then obviously on top of it he's also he's like oh I can see Chris who I saw and yeah. managed to survive in the Mexico it's an I can take him out yeah. fucking ridiculous and while we're on the subject of Arias' wife the fact that they just use the same CGI model but give a blonde hair is so fucking lazy it's unbelievable I have to be honest guys I was waiting for the the shocking revelation that she was a clone (laughs) 
well, why not? Yeah, I mean, fucking hell, the, the movie practically throws everything else in the bin. So. <laughs> you know, we have a huge record that Rebecca Chambers is a clone or something. Of, uh, oh, Nick, of... can't you remember? She's a super stealth tyrant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Talking of Maria, do we ever find out what she's infected with? It's not really elaborated on, but I think it's the air virus. I think Diego's infected with the air virus and a refined version of the T virus, according to the book. Yeah, to keep him alive. Which, again, I guess that's the thing that's lost, because in the book, if he potentially sacrificed himself to save Glenn, that explained why he'd be damaged, yet it doesn't come off as any sort of reveal that they somehow miraculously survived the explosion alongside him, mm. and they just appear in the flashback. So that character motivation's gone, because you kind of understand that Glenn would be upset that he didn't save his wife, but... At the same time, he feels at least indebted to him for saving his life that if he's dying of some sort of certain injuries, he, he's tried to save him. Perhaps you could have had like a, um, a kind of introductory credit scene, which is kind of in the background of Arius's team effectively creating Diego. The first scene would have been the wedding drone scene. Then you could have had a kind of credit sequence scene and just kind of like images of, of Arius's team. Yeah. yeah, what happened after. Without you know. going. Yeah, without that, you know, yeah. heaps of context, yeah. Yeah, and you can see, you know, because I love Diego's mutation scene. I thought that was quite, you know, it was kind of like very limiter coat type situation. And it would have been really cool to see, like, the, you know, pictures of his team kind of trying to stitch him back together and, you know, making him, basically. But, you know. um, okay, so this is the first time Chris, Leon and Rebecca have come together for the first time in the series. And we've already touched on Rebecca's calming influence over the pair. I did think that Chris and Leon's feud, if you like, felt genuine. I don't think they like each other that much. And he kind of they started in RE6, and it's almost like a dick measuring competition. Well, I've survived eight biohazard incidents. How many of you survived? Leon? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I've rescued the president's daughter. I've shot the president. You know, well, well, you know. <laughs> but I like. I, I think, as we said with RE6, it's a good idea to have your two main heroes not necessarily like each other. I and think that's yeah, good. It's good. Yeah. And it, it kind of works. That they kind of work together. They know they're pretty good in their respective fields, but as a personal level, they don't really get on that much. And that's quite good. I think that kind of came across the beginning of it. Um, it's a shame, as you said, the story's been done before mm. with Chris. Yeah, but now we have Rebecca chewing him out. And I was going to say on top of that, I like the fact that Rebecca has regrets about the fact that when she gets to the bathroom afterwards, she's all like, "It was very nice of me. Like, <laughs> she did the right thing, but she's kind of she doesn't obviously like doing that sort of stuff, and she feels regrets about having to be a hard ass, which I thought was a really nice moment as well. Again, quiet moment before all the action starts. And there's some more stuff in the book which was shamefully cut out of the film, where Chris confides in. Leon that he wanted to leave the BSAA after what happened in China and he's been in the position he's currently in and I think it would have done the movie a lot of good if they'd kept that in. It would have because see... it would have acknowledged the fact that they're doing the same thing again Yeah, but putting a spin on it. I was going to say I prefer that they uh, acknowledged it like yeah it does seem really forced but the problem I can see why in the CG film to a certain extent they may not have gone for that and why you wouldn't use it as a plot point is because it undermines the conflict that's currently going on between the two characters because they're, all of a sudden that moves them from arguing rivals to understanding each other very quickly mm. and either answer isn't wrong and I would have preferred that they actually mentioned the events of Yeah, um, I, I would have you know the next scene I'm, the scene it's on now is actually just before they go to New York and they're just talking as normal so they've already put aside their differences and it, it almost feels kind of artificial now Without that moment of and also, reconciliation between them both. And also, depending on where they're going with the Chris storyline, if you have a pre-story RE7, I want to leave the BSAA, 
if he does then end up joining Blue Umbrella or wherever, wherever the story's going to go, there might be a bit more rationale as to why he does this. Maybe. I don't know where the story's going, of course, but um, we'll see. We'll see. Well, look who it is. The BSAA's golden boy and Dr. High Hopes. What the hell do you want? I got a job. We need your help. <laughs> I'm on vacation. Let's talk about Los Illuminados. Remember the type of BOWs they were using? That's so long ago, I don't remember. So what? You're just gonna sit around here another week and do nothing? I never make plans that far ahead. Okay, so we've had the introduction of Leon. We've discussed the fact there's a bit of a Chris RE6 plotline rehash, but never mind. Well, you get the exposition, don't uh, you, with uh, the Patricio guy who turns up. Patricio turns up and Ricky gets kidnapped. Yeah, Mr. And then that woman gets her arm shot off and killed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was like, oh my God. This is this is the single moment where everything they've done great with Rebecca so far is just thrown in the bin. Yes. I feel this is a turning point in the film. But what was also interesting about this, about Patricio was the fact that he carries on with the Los Illuminados point. And there is this link of the former Los Illuminados members either rallying behind Arius. And I think Newsbots mentioned on Biohaze that uh, following on from the second Las Plagas outbreak in the village. Well, the theory is that the surviving members of Los Illuminados, well, it's not clear if the cult's still going or whether it's just former members want Arius to cause a major outbreak in America in exchange for development data on the dominant plaga which he has then used to make the air virus stronger. That's the theory anyway. So he attacks New York because the Los Illuminados have paid him to. Los Illuminados? (laughs) And then there's quite a nice scene isn't it where he's watching the city go into hell and he's like well actually maybe this is what I wanted all along. You know as if he's hitting that realisation that he does just want to see the world burn because he hates everything now. It's not clear and it contradicts his kind of seemingly position right at the start of the movie where he seems quite smug in his ability to trade his products and like I've just felt that was really weird like the only time he kind of snaps is at that scene where he hits Rebecca when she kind of smart mouths him about his wife but yeah it's uh it's I don't know it's it's kind of a weird character thing um I was going to say the other the other part I just want to mention because I wrote a note about it was I've written Gatling gun decimate room laptop miraculously unscathed (laughs) (laughs) good point and Leon as well. Leon's just hiding under a table. Fucking at least. Yeah, Chris... he is under a table. <laughs> Patricia gets shot. Chris somehow miraculously gets behind the thing. Woman gets killed. Arm goes flying. I don't even know what happened to the blood vial of Rebecca's blood. If someone picked that up, I'm assuming so because it gets mentioned that they could use it. Mm. Um, but you don't see it get picked up. And then the laptop is miraculously just sitting on the ground, completely unscathed. That's true. That's true. But yeah, we get the great scene with Rebecca in the wedding scenario. And then you get Arius's motivations, which is basically he wants to put his wife's dead arm on Rebecca because she's the same CGI model as his ex-wife. <laughs> and all the guests are in the boxes that he's and trying to keep. fucking awful. Oh you, oh, you don't like it? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, come on. Please tell me you're joking, Nick. I, no, no, I, I just thought it was one of the creepier scenes in Resident Evil Dead. God, I fucking hated it. I, I don't think I would have hated it as much if it wasn't a cheat by using the same Rebecca model and just giving her blonde hair. If right. they'd made it so she was similar, I could understand a little bit where he was coming from, but they cheat the audience using technology, basically. 
What I liked and about that scene was how smug Rebecca was when she was like explaining Arius's own plan to him, and she was saying like, "Oh, it wasn't hard to work out your plan. It wasn't hard to create a vaccine. You know, we'll stop you. You're not going anywhere." And then he just sort of says, "Well, actually, if your plan was working perfectly, then why have the zombies been attacking you, implying yes, that yeah, a vaccine is incomplete?" Which I thought was nice touch. It is a good. Uh, other than the wedding reveal, that that dialogue is really well written. Yeah. I really enjoyed that too. Yeah, I felt like it's one of those masterful reveals where the uh, antagonist feels they've got the upper hand, and then they explain it really well, and you understand it, and then all of a sudden the rugs pulled out from under them. Mm. Yeah, I really enjoyed that too. Yeah, so I, sure like... I didn't think it was. Um, I didn't think it was that bad. And as I said, I think it was one of the weirdest think... baddie type things. Here's I'm think... recreating my wedding. Here's the guests. They're all having a wonderful time. Okay, I think I... my frustration from it came from just the fact that I was hoping for so much more from Rebecca's big return, not to see her just be a kidnapped victim. Yeah, but that's been a big issue. That's the one thing I liked about that scene is, is where she continues to take charge. Her character's really strong. She's just put yeah. in a really terrible situation consistently through the film. I was going to say as well, in, in that plan, I thought it was a really nice touch because I was like, earlier in the university scene and she's like escaped and she has passed out and stuff and she grabs the bottle of water and she takes a big gulp and you're kind of like, oh, well, that's kind of really unusual time to take some water, but I guess she's exhausted. And I didn't really mm-hmm. question any fear of that. Then later on it comes up this reveal that the water itself was the contaminant yeah and they reveal it with the shot of the same exact bottle that you saw it grab yeah and i was like oh that's a nice touch i really liked that i thought that was a nice little nod to what they'd actually set up and you hadn't actually taken fully in so i think up to this point rebecca was handled well i think after she was captured we would have liked to have seen a kind of princess Leia moment it's not a problem that she was mm. captured necessarily but like in a new hope as soon as luke opens the door Leia's in charge for the rest of the film at least around them it, she could have she's still in charge talking to him but if she then escaped and then grabbed a gun and i agree with this and the reason why this is where i was going to go with the comment before about the justification between leon and chris bickering with each other is essentially you could have kept that dynamic going through the rest of this movie that they kind of forced to work together but they continue to argue and causing problems for each other and it's when Rebecca joins back in the fold she manages to take charge of both of them and sort their shit out mm, and then yeah. they basically start kicking ass like I could I'd totally get behind that a lot better instead of this whole um, virus and then have to rescue her again kind of plot line I would have followed that a lot better I think yes so would we say Arius was a, uh, a sympathetic villain no it's forced yeah. Sorry. The original reason his wedding's bombed is because he's into some shady shit, isn't it? Yeah. There's no, nothing redeemable about him at all. It does seem a it's bit like... over the top to go, right, I, I want revenge on the US government. I'm now going to go well, to this is, this is This is the thing. Like, regardless of the nameless government, which I, as I said, I assume is the US government, and thus probably why his main attack point is in New York, it's still more than just the US he's attacking by doing this. Like, this is pretty obvious. Like, it's just the start of what would obviously become a further outbreak because it's a contaminant still. It still spreads. So more zombies attack other people, create more zombies. We've seen that already. So it's not like it's going to be limited, and they talk about this fact as well. So it's obviously going to spread across not just the United States, but Canada, Mexico, then start going you know, across the airways. You know, people on flights will be infected without knowing, or if someone gets on a flight and they turn, or you know because there seems to be an inconsistency in the delay and then it'll start spreading worldwide like yeah again this is one thing that always problems with these global outbreaks is that they don't seem common sense there doesn't seem to be any real sense to why no perhaps if the film was targeted on a zombie attack on the cia building you know it might be yeah but yeah yeah, i could understand it if it's really direct it might make more sense professor rebecca chambers welcome 
I'm Glenn Arius. I heard you found a cure for my merchandise. For someone so young, you're quite brilliant. A cure isn't the only thing I found. Really? Please, tell me more. I figured out how the latent virus is activated. Animality virus, Professor. A virus, for short. Your BOWs can tell who they're supposed to attack. That's a good selling point for a weapon. Engineering them with that trait must have been difficult for you. But I know how you did it. There are three strains of the virus. One infects them. A second acts as a trigger. The third gives you the option of choosing who your target will be. I'm impressed. How did you figure it out? I noticed a huge concentration of outbreaks around the Great Lakes, which just so happens to be a major source of drinking water. But they weren't planned by you. They happened by accident. It seems under certain rare conditions, the latent virus can activate without the trigger virus. Speaking of, the trigger virus is probably distributed through the air, by a gas. By themselves, these viruses either have no potency or they run the risk of activating on their own. But when combined, they become an effective, controllable bioweapon. Nicely done, Professor. It's no wonder you survived Raccoon City. So now we're in New York and we've talked about the water being the contagion and it almost gives like a dormant version of the virus, the base virus. So everyone is unintentionally infected with the virus and all then it takes is the so-called trigger to turn it. And in this case, we have a um, very Batman-esque gas system across New York. Thought we saw that in Batman Begins, but there we go. Um, go around with the tankers and spreading the virus that way. I thought the quality of the CGI at this point was quite good. Some of the long shots above the city when they started spreading it looked very good. It almost looked very, very photorealistic. I'm, I'm just going to throw back to the scene with Leon and Chris. I know this sounds really, really pizza, but it's like two monkeys typing away at a keyboard that they don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, Leon spouts out all this stuff like he immediately understands the entire situation about how they're doing the virus of what seems like very little information <laughs> i was really like okay all right and then i'm pretty sure it's them but maybe it's someone else someone makes the comment about like oh well if we get the uh the uh vaccine then we can save everyone who's turned and i was like but what about the people who've been like eaten mm. or <laughs> Or, like, killed in other ways, like explosions and fires and other bits and pieces that obviously you see break out in the city. I was like, you can't save those people. They're dead. doesn't matter if you get that vaccine out there. Like, they probably, I'm sorry. They, they probably don't want to come back either. And, but the funny thing is, there's a woman. I'm just jumping forward, but because I'm mentioning this now, there's a woman I think you see her husband's having like seizure on the ground and she's got a phone and then she realizes what's going on and then her husband attacks her. And then later on, you see her in, later in the movie and she's a zombie. And then they use the vaccine and she comes back to normal. And I was like, but she just got attacked by her husband like when she was still alive because she wasn't being affected by the virus straight away. I was like, that woman's not coming back. She just got eaten. <laughs> I was like, that's just lazy, cheap CG filmmaking. <laughs> mm. I suppose my question is then, because I, I like the idea that not everyone had drunk the water. Um, so not everyone was turning when the gas came in. 
But is that true? Is that hypothesis correct? If you hadn't had the water, the gas would have no effect on you. That would make sense. Yeah. I would think of it like a, you're a tourist, right? You come to New York, you live there in the UK, and you just flew in the day before and you haven't drunk any water that was locally bottled, you know, or you arrived that morning or something. Um, but that's also interesting because I'd be like, I would assume that if you've got water that's from the Great Lakes District, that water probably gets exported too. Like it goes to different parts of the country and it might get shipped overseas or someone picks up a bottle and manages to take it with them. It's unopened on a ship or on a flight where they didn't dispose of it somehow because that occasionally does happen so you've got these random outbreaks happening by accident and they all seem to be around the great lakes that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because as i said like the bottles of water would probably travel over here oh i'm in new york and i've picked up a bottle of water from the convenience store and i'm driving across the country i'm driving to chicago i'm driving to you know florida or i'm driving somewhere else like again just convenience sake that they all (laughs) happen to go around the great lakes and that's how rebecca works out what was going on yes for all you uk listeners i can't imagine the highest concentration of Buxton water drinkers live in Buxton. Yeah, exactly. that's a good, good, good <laughs> analogy. But that kind of creeps onto what I was going to say about this is the first time I think in the series we've seen people who were zombies no longer become zombies. I hated that. Yeah. Absolutely hated it. Same. And I was so confused by how or why, aside from what Rob just said with regards to half-eating people going, oh, what happened there, love? He just took a chunk out of me. I did it. Oh, sorry. You know, that kind of thing. I don't understand how that can happen and why therefore there was even a vaccine in the first place because surely the moment you become a resident evil undead and i know they've not always necessarily been people who've died they're infected aren't they but the series is always implied that once you become a zombie your body starts to decay Mm. it actually does start to die so by that yeah what happens to the people who've like had half their face blown off or whatever but can still be animated through the virus when the cure goes through them surely they're just going to die anyway because of the damage there <laughs> exactly know. yeah well you'd have to assume that those people will die but the people who've just been infected because it all happens very quickly so you'd, yeah. you'd, the only explanation it's is it's not long enough for them to lose all the mental faculties i suppose i can see that as argument it doesn't make any sense because you immediately see mass panic fires People eating each other. Exactly what we said before. It's like, oh, sorry, I took a chunk out of you. I've got some uh, human flesh there stuck on my teeth. I'm sure you'd feel great about that when you unturned from a zombie. Oh, and that yeah. also starts to ask a bunch of like philosophical questions and mental questions like, what's it like being turned into a zombie? Do you have memories of being a zombie? And then would you <laughs> unturn? Like, I really didn't like that at all. I was like... No, no it is. It's... it's- it's one of the it's worst things in the series. It is. And I think actually even in its own little universe, it fundamentally made the race against time to save Rebecca seem pointless. Well, no, because they had to throw I, I, in that MacGuffin, didn't they, that they used Rebecca's blood to make the virus stronger. Yeah, I take which, that. I acknowledged it. My other issue with that was that it's going to take half an hour, which is inconsistent. Like, just because they made it stronger. Wouldn't you think it was stronger? It would be faster than the yeah. previous version, which is already pretty fast. Yeah. Um, also, it's a virus. It's going to take exactly 30 minutes, and Chris sets his watch for 20 when he finds out, and he just gets to her in time. But it's not exactly something you can set by a clock. Like, it might be 30 minutes. It might be 35 minutes. It might have been 25 minutes when she turned. Like, this is not exactly going to be an accurate to the second kind of science. It's not like a bomb that's ticking down to zero. Like, <laughs> I was no. a little bit like, yeah. Again, very true, very true. To be fair, a lot of the third act, I was like, eh. 
<laughs> I know. I think at the moment we're only talking about the points that are worthy of discussion. We haven't even talked about the bits that aren't worthy for discussion, but we will be sadly forced to talk about them. All this point is kind of general Resident Evil lore and virology, and you know what we've seen before and things like that. We won't talk about motorbikes. It was interesting, wasn't it? I just felt a bit kind of at the end with the virus. I thought it was, it was also pointless again, wasn't it? You know, we're never going to see the A virus ever again. You know, that just joins the list of. A virus, whatever's in the stage, the C virus, the T abyss, the T phobos. It's just like, you know, I find a lot of these are now the viruses are the main story point and they focus the story around the virus. It's like the virus can be whatever it needs to be to fit the story as opposed to the T virus turns people into zombies. And then you kind of do the story and what you want to tell. But this is now, we need a story that does this. Well, we'll just make the, you know, it becomes a deus ex machina, doesn't it? Yeah, but they've been doing this since, um, you know, since Revelations, haven't they? Oh, you know, we'll we'll set a game on a boat and now we have a water-based virus. You know, it's... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a fundamental flaw, which is why I had a a soft spot for Degeneration and Damnation, because it kind of used established... It didn't have anything special. T-virus and a G-virus. You go, great. I Again, I would also be fine with a combination. We were talking about the uh, Los Illuminados, and it was uh, like another combination of virus that existed, and that, again, something that already existed. I'd be okay with that in much the same way. But this is just adding that weird element, which isn't really discussed to a virus that is undefined and is exactly as we were saying probably pretty much self-serving to the plot of this movie and will probably never be mentioned again and and the fact that they have to spend i suppose if you tot it up at least five to ten minutes talking about the runtime yeah yeah, of how this virus works and i I don't remember them talking at all in degeneration about the virus because it's the t-virus we know what it does we've played enough games with it i think there's a very vague description of the sort of impact it can have on the populace and that's literally all you need to know like it turns people into zombies which you get to see and it has a debilitating impact on the populace and it's a virus that's enough for movie for people who maybe not see played any of the games or very broadly only know the background to, to get it whereas this yeah this definitely spends a lot of time explaining the virus explaining how they're going to beat the virus spends a lot of time talking about vaccines and it could be quite confusing to people because I can understand the idea of like Rebecca's made this vaccine and yeah, there's an actual, actual other vaccine that actually does more than that, which is kind of explained vaguely through the idea that it's the only reason why the zombies don't attack. But people will be like, um, I don't get why this is important and would probably be easily confused because you yourself seem to have misunderstood some of the elements of why this is even a thing. Like, And you know what's going on. Like, I'm sure someone who watches this movie might even be more confused. They'd be like, "Why? why this seems overly complicated. And to make it worse, of course, whilst we all agree that the idea of, of a weapon that, that recognises friend from foe, but that's what happened in Damnation, with the liquors. If you break it down, the A-virus is pointless because, yeah, it's just another zombie virus, but I like the way it works. But if you look at it, really, it's just the same as a Las Plagas. You could infect New York with Las Plagas, and instead of having a vaccine to save the people you want to keep alive, you just give them a, a dominant strain plaga so they can keep their own consciousness or whatever. It's just the same thing. It's just they're just running out of mm, ideas, aren't they? That's all it is. And again, they could have finally done maybe the T-virus plaga that's been thought about and theorised for donkeys. That literally pretty much is this without yeah. being named as such. Like, yeah. it's a zombie virus 
which is undefined, which gives them the ability to make the property slightly different, which is why I was slightly frustrated by the fast-moving running zombies, and then add this element of the Plagueis in there. It essentially is that, just without the name attached. So again, we I feel we've got a, a, a city virus. And another thing that really wound me up, and I was thinking about this after watching it, one of the best things about Resident Evil is that you've got that degree of science behind it. Yes, it's it's very far-fetched, but there's a degree. And you've got things like Wesker's Report 1 and 2, the struggles Umbrella got just to make something that they could potentially sell, the Hunter program, the, the Tyrant program took 10-plus years just to oh, make... Yeah. Virus research is, is obviously decades. It goes from the 60s through to the late 90s, and even then it's not perfected. No. And, yeah, and now there's like a different virus every other week by 20 years later. And it's so easy. I mean, you look at something like the Diego, you know, that is better than any tyrant that's ever been made, pretty much. You know, the ability to do what it can do, it's up there with the tyrant. You know, let's look at Arius's laboratory. Well, it's just that one chap with a scalpel. Brilliant. You know, is he like a genius or something? It's just easy, and I don't see the effort. I don't see the, the behind-the-scenes work that goes into creating all these things. And I, I say it's... Resident Evil 6 is guilty of it. Resident Evil 5 is certainly guilty of it. The thing at least I can understand about 5, and this is where I would go with it, is that when you had the Wesker connection and he was peddling off various bits of research, it was a compound. Like, he'd taken previous understanding and research knowledge, previous testing, previous all that sort of stuff. And each thing was a reiteration. It was a continuation of that research and change. So I could kind of almost give that a pass. But yeah, you're right. A lot of this stuff now just doesn't have any connection. It's just like some super genius is like, oh, I've got a hold of this virus, or I'm going to make my new virus based off this, or in the idea of this, and I can just do it, and it happens. The TBS was the same as well. You know, there's a couple of little things here. Ooh, you know, when the Maracoda thing, and they theorize about if it was attached to a blue whale, how big could it get and all that. But it's just, oh, it's my biggest irk with the series, is that it just creates stuff because it looks cool. And Diego is a kind of prime example of it. There's no thought, there's no, look what we've created and it's taken all these years, which is why, again, RE7, so excited. Because there was that bit of background with HCF, there was that, all the failed um, E series and D series and whatnot. And it seems like that there was that degree of progression over a long period of time. Mm. I hope it's not lost. Well, that was one of the refreshing things about Seven, wasn't it? There was no virus for a change. No new virus. No. no. Felt like a fresh direction. Mm. A fresh direction that, unlike a lot of these viruses that we've been dealing with, doesn't seem forced as well. That's the other key part of it. It is. I mean, you know, Resident Evil 7, for all intents and purposes, is a reboot, in a sense, isn't it? And it's just all mm. fucking dragged back into the shit with the last shot, basically. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> The last scene. Um, but you talk about Diego, we're in New York now. I quite like the fact that the series takes place in a real-life location for a change. I don't think they've done that much, have they? No, I think all the locations in this movie are actual places, they're not made up. Yeah, I think the film does a really poor job of showcasing a city-wide outbreak, though. You get those couple of shots, don't you, of the zombies running around and people panicking, and that's it, you don't see and any... Then the, I like the shot of the cop's dash cam, but yeah. again... The cops shoot some people. Again, they're not coming back alive. And, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really good. But then, yeah, there's like a couple of scenes later, I think it's just like people casually walking around the street while another tanker pulls up. And I'm like, yeah, I just... think with the sort of news service we've had in the last few years, there would be some sort of understanding that there was some sort of mass panic going on in parts of New York by now. And there's no traffic just... anywhere. No, no, no. Tra the only traffic there is, Leon manages to dispatch them quite well. Yeah. <laughs> 
we were completely <laughs> right about that. I feel so sorry for this. This is one of my biggest issues. Is is I, I said this or more or less word for word in my review that I put up on Biohaze is when your heroes are killing civilians to do their job, but they're not heroes anymore. Mm. If they used that moment as a a moment of realization for Leon, you could just about get away with it. I think if he'd actually like looked does. at himself and thought, "Fucking hell, this is what I've become." Yeah. He just no, they even even just gives like a cool look to the camera, he almost flicks his hair a certain way as though yeah, job done. And while we're on the subject, the Cerberuses in this are fucking ridiculous. Well, <laughs> I, 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 I wanted to bring this up in regards to Damien's death. I was like, they really, can, like <laughs> they can run faster than a fucking motorbike near enough. They're like seemingly impossible to kill. Like we've got marksman Chris misses with a fully automatic rifle against them. Yeah. They managed to decapitate a BSAA member immediately. And why do they even open the fucking van in the first place? Yeah, that's what I was going <laughs> to say. Know, the van moves. He's just all really casual about it. And it's like you're a BSAA agent who's usually fighting supposedly bioweapons. We haven't seen you do this before, but we assume that you have had either at least the proper training or a yeah. beaten combat. Why would you just casually open the there's, back door of that van? There's bigger fish to fry at the point in the story than opening a van that's moving. Just fucking leave it and come back later. I'll blow it up with one of the many grenades you've got. <laughs> yeah. You know, the havoc that two Cerberuses can cause but, in this movie is just ridiculous. But they even know it's got Cerberus dogs in it from when they read the laptop. Oh, fuck. So they know it's got B.O.W.s in it. Just fucking blow it up. Yes. I assume these aren't T virus. Uh, Cerberus enhanced with the A virus to make them more ferocious. Yeah, yeah. Standard stuff. And travel at the speed of light. Yeah. So they, they look undead as well, which I thought was like, well, okay, this mm. doesn't really match everything else now. One of the worst, worst things in the entire series. It's just there's nothing redeemable about it. It's awful. <laughs> there could have been a family of four in those cars. You know. Yeah. How funny would it be if it was just like Ashley Graham just randomly having a drive through New York and <laughs> Leon blows a car up completely by She's like, she's driving along and then she's like, hey, that looks like Leon. <laughs> And then it cuts to a wide shot and it just goes... (laughs) 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 Oh, after the dogs, we get the John Wick homage with Leon and the infinite pistol magazine. The scene after the dogs being blown up with the grenade, after Leon dispatches the civilians as well, is um, when you find out that Rebecca's going to lose her arm and is being administered the, uh, the super virus. And that's when he says, doesn't it? It'll take half an hour, unfortunately. It'll take half an hour, yeah. <laughs> Conveniently. Exactly but, half an hour. But now at the, um, the fight, one of the first zombie fights, I've got in my notes, T-Bone Suplex, DDT, Harakarana. I was unaware that they're all big fans of the WWE. It was that stupid. Oh, bollocks. I'll just get out of the way now. I really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, which, which is this? The scene in the corridor with the zombies. Oh, these with, are all the moves with, they're doing. With Chris on his own and then Leon come. Apart from the bit where he first turns up on the motorbike, I don't like that. But after they come out the elevator and they have a quick look at each other and then both go mental, I thought that was I thought that was no, good. No, that was awful. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind the Leon bit so much because I like the fact that they've evidently been inspired by John Wick, who's doing mm. all this sort of stuff now. And he is supremely well-trained. This is not implausible for him. But his fucking... You pointed this out, John, when they first released the clip. His infinite handgun magazine. Yes. Fucking ridiculous. And this is a series that, in fairness, has always been pretty good on ammo counts and things like that. And it's just... What is it? Nearly 40 bullets from one magazine or something? Oh, fuck's sake. 
Yeah. It's not like a maybe, long clip. No, it's not. Maybe, no, maybe, it's standard. So maybe, you're thinking maybe, you know, 10, 15 rounds at the most. Certain handguns, the maximum, I think, something maybe like 20. You're not going to get any more than that. So when Chris pulled off a dangerous DDT onto a zombie, I thought, oh. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what he's talking about. What is it? Are these wrestling moves or something? They are wrestling yeah. moves. Yeah. yeah. Someone on the animation side or the writing side is a big wrestling fan, obviously. A lot of this stuff as well. Like, I mean, that is the thing with, like, uh, John Wick is that there is a mixture of um, wrestling, judo, uh, other martial arts, along with the close combat fighting stuff. So I can kind of see where they were going with it. Mm. And, and again, I, I kind of understand it of Leon. We've seen it a little bit, even in the games, obviously where he'll kick and punch enemies, uh, Ganados in particular. I don't know the user guy's name. Is it Dark Chris from Biohaze? He's broken down all the fighting styles in the movie, and they're apparently they're actually very accurate. I'm guessing that comes from the motion capture side too, that they were able to get the action scenes, what they wanted in the motion capture. That's the one thing, again, I can give it credit for stuff in the animation, is the motion capture of those fight scenes, the one at the start and the one there as well, are really well done, mm. even as ridiculous as this is. It's stylistically, it's well-framed, it's, it's easy to understand the fighting that's going on, it's not hard to follow. I was impressed technically by it. The only saving grace, because, I mean, if he had done that in the mansion incident, you'd have gone, well, yes, you're being silly, you're going to get infected. The only saving grace was that he knew they weren't going to get infected because they had the vaccine. The vaccine and the plan, so, yeah. So, otherwise, I thought that scene would have been the most ridiculous. The risk of infection, was, you know, the blood was going everywhere. How come you don't like something like that, but you'll like the intro to something like Code Veronica? <laughs> where, where the helicopter destroys its own building. I don't get it. <laughs> I like the bit where um, Chris jabbed the um, gun into the zombie when he was trying to change the clip. So he leaves it attached to the zombie and then goes off and like attacks the other one and with a knife, I think it is, or something, and then comes back, grabs the gun, jams the clip in, pulls the gun out and shoots the zombie with it. I thought that was quite a nice touch. Yeah, I like that. I like that. There was a good chance to play that scene up. I don't know this seems really ridiculous to say this, but a little bit more humour too. Because I like the bit when the zombies come out of the lift and they kind of just look at each other and nod and go, okay, here we go again. But there could have been a little bit more of that and I probably would have been a bit more okay with the uh, action scene. I'm just rewatching Leon shooting uh, the zombies and going, yep, yeah, there's definitely a lot of bullets in that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost count, but uh, he definitely hasn't reloaded. And he fires off like three or four shots right at the end. I'm guessing he reloaded off camera when we didn't see him after that. But Chris is reloading. His rifle seems to run out every two minutes. Yeah, he reloads realistically. That's why I like that. As I was saying, that he uses the zombie when he jams it into the zombie. I thought it was really good. That feels more like John Wick. That's like a tactical reload. He's Or, or even Equilibrium, too. That, um, that Christian Bale movie um, where the bullets are counted and then they find a stylistic or interesting way in order to uh, to reload the uh, the gun. I thought that that's kind of missing with Leon. They could have easily done that. Yeah. Where he like headlocked a zombie while jamming a, you know, another clip in the gun. Because he does that. He pins like zombies down with his legs and stuff like that, which is all fine. I didn't have any issues with that. Mm. Again, very you know modern movie inspired. So post corridor scene we get the it's atrocious the chris versus diego which is over with a single incendiary grenade oh yeah and i'll tell you another bit we've missed out as well is what happens to maria she's just randomly in one of those trucks that gets blown up and you just see her walk out and fall to the floor she must be one of the most underdeveloped characters in the entire series her father was turned into a mutant because he almost died she got a scar on her eye and got a virus, and she wears a skimpy outfit. That's a battle we know. Yeah. And she doesn't die in this movie. Yeah, the Diego fight is pretty shit. 
if you can call it a fight. The best bit in it is before Diego turns up and Chris just goes in and socks that guy with the scalpel. (laughs) He doesn't just do that. He shoots the two guys outside guarding the thing in the head. I was like, even Chris, that's pretty damn brutal. The thing that disappoints me about Diego fight is that damnation, you know, we really came somewhere with seeing how impressive a tyrant fight can be. Mm. You know, the scene in the warehouse is a highlight in the series for me because it's not just connected to my username, but I've always wanted to see tyrants unleashed and see the kind of devastation and damage they can do. And I think Damnation was the first time we really got to see that. And in this, Diego being dispatched by a single grenade, it's just, it's rubbish. It's literally yeah. like the writers wrote themselves into a corner. They've put Chris in this situation and they just don't know how to dispatch him decently. Mm. But it's also the no, same agree issue with of, that. like, having to always have a big bad boss at the end, like, aside from the blatant shot, I said this at the time, but aside from the blatant shot in the trailer, we probably could have guessed that was going to happen anyway, just because, yeah. So, how did everyone feel about the gunfight on the roof? Oh, well, let's go there then. I thought this is where the rent was coming from. I was able to watch this at the cinema, and the cinema was quite full. I would say it was two-thirds full, which was quite surprising. And people were literally laughing out loud when this scene was playing. It is so it bad. Was... I described it as a dance when the trailers came out. It just looked hilarious. Them running in circles, mm-hmm. shooting fully automatic pistols, rolling around on the floor. By the time I was watching it, and bearing in mind by this point, I was really fucking drunk. I was laughing out loud, nearly crying with laughter. I think the, the drink was helping. Yeah. Because if this is Chris Redfield, your star's marksman, you know, trophy winner, cannot hit someone at point-blank range with a fully automatic pistol. Uh, Jesus Christ. And then they're rolling around, they're running in circles. It's like a game of kiss chase. It's just it's magnificent to watch for all the wrong reasons. It came across as like, you know, something like off Britain's Got Talent, you know, like these knife, <laughs> knife throwing acts. It's like we use guns with real bullets and we won't harm each other. <laughs> we won't harm each other. But we're going to make it look like we're going to kill each other, yeah. but we're not. Yeah, no, I get that. I'm going to bring up John Wick again. I went to John Wick 2. It came out here much more delayed than anywhere else. The one scene that really drove me nuts was the bit in the subway where they're blind firing at each other and nobody pays attention to the bullets being fired. That scene was like very short and was enough to make me giggle. I was like, you might might as well have not had that bit and the rest of it in the subway I could kind of understand. That's what this felt like, but a much more extended absurdity of like, really, you're this close and you guys are like dancing around the bullets and like flipping over each other and rolling out of the way and like, the knife thing I could understand. The knife I'd be okay, the I was okay thing, with, like, but the gun. The only place Arius actually stabs is Chris's body armour. It's like, yeah. for fuck's sake... It's exactly like earlier when he blatantly could have killed him and he just shoots him in the back in the armour just so he can give a speech at the start of the movie. Um, <laughs> and I was like, if he's able to get the gun off him that easily in the opening, I don't understand why he wasn't able to do it again here. Again, consistency. Like, If you break down the actual fight scene as well, and just watching it again now, I've actually watched it back a couple of times, it's just so bad. But the animators actually fuck up here a little as well, because if you actually look at the individual shots... They actually blatantly have the characters not aiming at each other. Like, there is no intention at times. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. John, you've said this a couple of times this evening, but I'm going to contribute as well. It is one of the lowest points of the series for me. In a series yeah. which, although the series isn't about cool fight scenes, and it never was, when we have been gifted with them, they're usually pretty good. I mean, for all of the nonsensical aspects of it, I really do love the Resident Evil 5 fight scenes, for example. I think mm. stuff with, like, well, Sheva, Chris, and 
Wesker are really well directed. They're really well put together. They make sense, you know, because Wesker's superhuman in a, in a sense. So I get the fact that he can dodge bullets, you know. It, but this but is it, why I, I questioned the opening bit. Like, it's one thing to say, oh, well, you know, Ares was CIA trained and all this stuff. But it's like, but Chris at this point has come up against what I would consider a much more difficult foe. And he managed to, he was still had his ass handed to him most of the time, but he managed to defeat him. And it's just like, again, it's just ignorance of the game. It's like, oh, this is part of the game universe, but then it kind of ignores certain elements of the games for the convenience of plot here or circumstance yeah. or action or whatever it is. So it's, you go back to like the Code Veronica fight scene between Chris and Wesker. And I know you hate Code Veronica, but do you at least like that sequence, John? I do like that, yeah. What I like about that is that it's more of a, a sort of character piece for Chris in that he's knocked down so much through that fight. He's beaten, you know, he's beaten within an inch of his life near enough, but every time mm. he just gets up, you know, and it's, it's a big character point for him. And like Leon and Krauser, there's mm. enough character in that knife fight to make it, you know, allow, you know, you allow all the silly backflipping and the slow motion knife twirling and that because there's enough character between the, the two of them. It's, it's not even just character. You kind of understand they both came from the same organization. They probably had the, both the same level of training. There's kind of an even keel match going on there as well that allows you to accept that these two know how to counter each other because they've both yeah. been trained the same. But Chris and Arius, there's nothing between them as characters. You don't care. They have no internal conflict because there's nothing between them as drove the Chris and Wesker fight in Code Veronica. So what you're left with is just this sort of ridiculously hollow sequence. Yeah, the thing is, they try to build up the vendetta revenge angle for both of them. Uh, for Chris, it's for what happened in Mexico. For Arius, it's obviously the wedding situation. But again, much in that same way, you're right. They both feel very hollow. We have no character development with the characters that Chris has this empathy towards because all we've seen them as is zombies and we don't know their background. Very little is explained other than the woman's job position and the fact she went missing and her son was with her. And in Arius's role, we don't have that sympathy for him because he's a shady weapons dealer who crossed the CIA. And so he got kind of what he deserved in some respects. So there's no empathy through there. So we don't understand his vengeance. So between the two of them, no wonder the combat between them feels hollow because the stakes seem ridiculously low. Mm. Everything going on around them is very low as well. So the only thing we've got to care about is whether or not Rebecca turns into a zombie. And that was very uh, dragged out. I remember watching this on the big screen though, and just thinking how cool would it have been to see a Wesker versus Chris fight represented in as much detail as this. Something like an extension of the fight in Lost in Nightmares. Yeah, where Wesker can move fast and gets yeah. the upper hand. Yeah. And Chris sorry. uses kind of his smarts to try and take him down and gets a few shot hits in here and there and mm. tries his best to... Yeah, that would be really cool. I'm going to move forward to the um, to the glass thing. I hated that too. I'm just like, I was okay with the fact that Ares is like punching the crap out of Chris and I'm like, fuck, he's getting the crap out of him and they've cracked the glass. But I'm like, that glass is going to give. And then what happens? He knocks Chris's head against the glass. It creates a hole, which somehow doesn't completely break all the glass immediately <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Okay, we'll go with that. Then Chris manages to like pick him up and flip him into the glass, making a perfect hole, which again doesn't shatter the rest of the glass just conveniently allows Arius to drop to his death and yeah. Chris just lies on the glass without moving for ages even though it probably should have shattered. Well, he leans over the edge doesn't he? On the, on yeah the, he does he looks hard to see bit. what's yeah. <laughs> I felt also someone really liked Dread do you and get that with the, oh, with the with falling the fall, body the yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true I was like, that feels very much like the, the scene in Dread. The second part of the fight, though, where they're going at each other and just cancelling each other out, that was all right. 
that's why I didn't mind the knife one. Sorry, from as you mentioned the body armor thing, I didn't mind the knife so much as much because they were obviously just unlike the guns, which obviously fire bullets. Most of the time, it was deflect the knife away, push the knife with the arm, the back of the arm, or push the arm away or something. So those parts felt a little less like a dance and a little less ridiculous than the gunfire. That's another shot of Wiley e. Coyote fall into his death. <laughs> yes, Arius needs to be slowly falling with a sign going why or something. <laughs> well, then Leon turns up on the motorbike and just goes beep beep. <laughs> that's, um, that's well led into actually, Nick, because if you bad. thought the motorbike that's... stuff in the streets was bad, wait till oh. you get to the building rooftop. Whoa! Because, Jesus Christ. Films ended for me at this point. I would just cut the rest off and stitch the end credits on. That's it exactly. Like, did we actually need Arius to come back as a giant monster? Because no. as I said, it's very predictable. We were able to predict this even without, oh, you know, we would have said this even without that bit in the trailer where we all went, oh, look, he's got the scar above his eye, clearly it's him. But yeah, it doesn't add anything. Why? Like, <laughs> it's Biohazard, and this is what happens in Biohazard. Yeah. And I'm sure that's probably what they say in the commentary. And <laughs> to have the giant monster come back for the final fight. So exactly we, we, that, yeah. We can add two more influences from the Resident Evil films into this movie. We've got the using the motorbike as a kind of weapon, which was, which yep. was done done in Apocalypse and then of course I put in my notes the Edward Scissorhand Tyrant which of course is done in Resident Evil Extinction I believe oh it is yeah <laughs> when, he, when he and Glenn mutates oh. yes it just keeps adding on not quite to the severity but there we go yes Ian Glenn when he mutates he kind of he's able to have very sharp protruding tentacles a bit like with T.O. 91 so from Dead let's End. correct this now Ian Glenn's clone duplicate Oh, yes, sorry. <laughs> I thought actually the design of the Tyrant was okay, and I liked the idea of fusing it with Diego was actually quite a good idea. So it's kind of a bit of a mix of like a G-virus and T-virus Tyrant. And of course, if you look carefully when Diego takes in, there's that, it's a kind of like a spider's web effect when he grabs mm. it. And then some tentacles come out, and they've got quite, I think Newsbot pointed out it's quite similar to the way Salazar is consumed in um, RE4. Yeah, it's a bit plaguery. Yeah, the, the, the thing opened, the tentacle kind of arms kind of fold out of the back and yeah. did spider webs on there. Yeah. Mm. There we go. And then, of course, the BSA's response to uh, destroying just a single tyrant is take down about three skyscrapers. Well, <laughs> yeah, oh, I forgot about that bit. I forgot about that bit. Well, this this is the the main bit I wanted to get on the collateral damage. This is, this the is where the rant's going to start a bit. There's been a lot of talk. I see on the forums. John, I'm going to need your help here. The blue umbrella angle, what are they brought in for? According to the Samurai Edge, they use Wesker's research to create antibio weapons that they then give to the BSA to test. Right, so um, I've seen a couple of fan theories say that the reason why Blue Umbrella now exists is because of the events of Vendetta and the sheer collateral damage that the BSA have caused civilian casualties and stuff. If they do something like that, then it does kind of justify the ridiculous idea of because it's world building isn't it it's kind of doing something there's still no justification for the name no it's not at all but what is with media in general and collateral damage you know we've had this with civil war in marvel we've had it with batman versus superman addresses it in you know it's just like stop killing civilians to tell your story there's an actual theory behind it that essentially has to do with raising the stakes and i've actually it's funny you mentioned this it was about maybe a month ago i just watched a video online about the idea of it was one of those uh pbs idea videos it was it was and it's not a new one it was like a year or two old where they were talking about um they set up as a fake newscast where they were talking about some sort of event that had happened in new york and who's 
responsible for cleaning up the damage and the cost and the lives that had been killed, you know, been taken and all this sort of stuff. And it theorizes this idea of real world consequences. But as a media element, we always take it because it essentially raises the potential stakes. And also there's an entertainment value to seeing destruction of stuff that you know, which again, maybe why they picked New York here because it's such a iconic, large metropolitan center. It raises those stakes immediately because you know it's a big populace. You know it's got big buildings and it's crowded and except for this place where it doesn't have cars. <laughs> And that internally gives you more character and more story motivation without having to describe it because you kind of understand immediately already. It's like the Avengers. Everyone knows New York. They know it's a busy place. They know there's lots of people. So immediately when there's an attack that raises the stakes because of the population, it's much better than say, hey, there's an attack of aliens in the countryside where there's like one person per X number of square kilometers because that doesn't exist in a large metropolitan area. And it doesn't allow for the spectacle of destruction when there is such and so it's just yeah it's a mixture of psychology and uh, entertainment that's literally it you'll be pleased to know sean according to the audio commentary that all those buildings were evacuated prior <laughs> but, that, but then the commentary almost feels like a knee-jerk reaction in the same way civil war was to you know the oh no not just civil war but also batman the superman yeah, as it this, was to, to, to I mean. man of steel have they said that in the commentary just because the fans have pointed out how fucking stupid it was where in the film and that's the most important thing. Where in the film does it tell you the city was evacuated? Exactly. You know, so from a storytelling point of view, one of the biggest fucking problems with this series is that to make the storyline work and to stitch it together, you need to have seen translated every fucking bit of scrap paper that comes with your replica pistol. I want to further that comment I just made as well about the, um, the entertainment angle. The thing is, and the reason why Civil War kind of went on, I guess, as well, but most, especially Batman v Superman, is that people were okay with just death and destruction to a certain extent when they kind of know the type of movie they're getting into. But if they feel like a large number of people were unjustly killed or a certain character faces a death, there was a big backlash in Jurassic World with a uh, assistant who was oh, not yeah. great at her job but didn't it's deserve completely to die. It's though, isn't it? God, they're really unnecessary. Exactly. The backlash was because it feels really unjustified. And it's the same. Like, people are like, wow, there was a huge amount of skyscraper destruction in Man of Steel. And it's like, and then you find out later that, yeah, those were actually fully filled with people. And of course, people were like, oh, that's really rough. Like, oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Like, it's not, it's no longer, there's no entertainment value to it. It just makes people feel uncomfortable. Then that's why there's complaints. And you're right. You should justify it. If you're going to say that, they easily, all they need to do was, uh, for example, the scene during the cop camera with the cop shooting, just have radio chatter you can hear in the background. It's like, all police, all police calling for a citywide evacuation immediately. Uh, evacuate all citizens from the city, evacuate all buildings, you know, something like that. And that enough is a little just tidbit would, would potentially justify that those buildings would be empty by that point. It's funny because mm. I was having this conversation this week with someone about the Avengers, about how the Avengers, you know, killed a lot of people during the Battle of New York. But there was actually sequences and moments where they actually do try and focus the collateral damage on them. You know, mm. you and save they try. You have sequences with Captain America running around trying to save people. Yeah, and um, there's even scenes during after the fight where they have to show the TV monitors and they have like the I think it's like a waitress that gets saved during that sequence talking about how she was lucky that she got saved and all this sort of yeah. stuff, how much they're heroes and all that sort of stuff because yeah, it, it creates a positive thing and that's an amazing thing. Like I think I walked away from the Avengers and I think a lot of people did. In hindsight, yeah, you can see there was collateral damage, but it wasn't portrayed as much as such, say compared to Man of Steel, which Man like, of Steel is chaos. They're just they're yeah, just literally chaos. wiping out buildings full of people, but. Even if Nadia had got the call that the city had been evacuated, those the buildings and whatnot, 
there's still a certain irresponsibility. Yeah, there is because that's people's houses, apartments, offices, everything. It doesn't matter. You know, what I, I know is. that I know Arius is a problem that needs dealing with. He's going to kill lots of people in that mutated form. But surely, like you know, couldn't the the plane lift higher so she could get a more sort of angled shot that's going to take out less buildings or my other thought about it is it's like also how infinite is that like it's a rail gun so it's got a perpetual movement on it right so obviously how far does it go so even if you did fire it you know at a level thing so it, does the bullet slowly drop off you know and then there's always a case of it for damage like it just seems like it would have been much easier just to have a rocket launcher <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> as cliche as it is, and this movie deals a lot in cliches, as I've pointed out, like it almost feels like that's probably why rockets have always made a little bit more sense, because they kind of go to a thing and then detonate on impact, and if you fire it directly at the creature that you're firing it at, that's kind of the point, whereas obviously this railgun's a lot more messy when it just fires and shoots straight through the something. Thing, the thing is, if the, so movie, if, if the movie's going to deal in fan service, then why not just give Chris the linear launcher, which doesn't destroy the entire Antarctic facility when he fires it, does it? No. Or, you know, the, what is it, the, the charged particle rifle from Dead Aim. Well, that'd be too much effort. So, going back to this weapons thing, do people think that this railgun is potentially part of this blue umbrella thing as well? Like in this, I've just seen these that theory, theory, but it was a theory on Biohaze. I think this is still pre-blue umbrella. It almost seems like something that would come out of that technology, wouldn't it? Like, you've got this giant it, it would, yeah. railgun. But I think if that railgun had had an umbrella logo on the side of it, for example, without any explanation whatsoever, I think people would have just thought, fucking hell. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've gone way off tangent. Well, we haven't because we're actually talking about placement now. Because didn't Kobe actually come out and say that Rebecca's thirty in this? Yeah, he did, but I think that was a mistake. The reason Rebecca was chosen specifically was because of her appearance in the stage, and she is thirty years old in the stage, which I think is where he's got this from. The original writer wanted Mr. Fukunami, I think his name is. He wanted Sheva, but he was quickly shot down with that idea. And they also considered Jill, but because Jill had had quite a large role in the live-action films, they decided to go with Rebecca, specifically because of her appearance in the stage. So should she be four in this, then? Well, we still don't know exactly when it is, but the evidence suggests the New York attack, at least, is in 2014, so she would be 34. Thematically, it makes sense picking her for the story as well. Like It gives a better angle for uh, you know the virus and all that sort of stuff. And as we said, that scene where she kind of plays her cards and you know, she's outsmarted there and stuff was all really good and it, it seems like she was in probably the most natural fit for this uh, story in the end so mm. it was a, a good choice but yeah the last bit where Arius is hanging from the osprey and he gets blown up it's just not exciting it's it's just pointless I also wrote the note about Leon gets flung by another tyrant against a wall again yeah <laughs> and doesn't die or like severely back. broken well, he's back. Lo- or... He's launched like 50 feet into the air. Yeah, it's a massive throw. It's from one side of the building to the other, and he hits the corner of a concrete wall and bounces off. He manages to launch the motorbike off the building and rolls to the side and draw his gun and aim and fire <laughs> in what must be like 0.2 of a second. That's the same with the wall throw. He he immediately after bouncing off the wall rolls around and starts firing at Arius. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. Foam wall. I've always moaned. <laughs> something as interesting as Terra Grigia never ever gets mentioned again I wonder because it's New York whether that will be mentioned again as a turning point again that might justify this blue umbrella angle if that theory is correct I mean it is a, it, because yeah. it's such a massively obvious target 
Uh, okay, so we, we've talked about the fact that Jill and Sheva was going to be apparently mooted for the role, and it's good that the stage kind of gets an acknowledgement through that. I'm really, really going off tangent. Do we know anything about the experience? Has that got anything to do with the stage? It's just a spiritual sequel to the stage. I don't think it's connected to that plot at all, because it seems to have a, a Cluedo-style synopsis of people being trapped in a house and they don't really know what's going on, so I don't think it's connected in any way. Okay. Sounds um, like Saw 2. Yeah. I did particularly like the comments from, I can't remember who it was, um, if they ever did a, a fourth. Was it this one? They were potentially mooting Jill as the main character or the next one, but um, they don't feel she can carry a movie on her own. Mm-hmm. And yet she's the only character in the entire series who's actually had two games to herself as the main character. I think yeah. CBX Freak said apparently Jill's not very popular in Japan. But she has Nemesis and Revelations. Mm. But she doesn't share the limelight in those games. Obviously, uh, the character's that. A little bit, of, yeah, a little bit of in Revelations and, and obviously in, Carlos a little bit in 3, but it is pretty much a mainstay dual title. Whereas in, in the other games, the game is shared. Yeah, the, multiple characters, yeah. Or seems, like Prisoner with Sex, where it's four characters split quarterly, yeah. But yeah, haven't they said if a potential fourth movie will have Jill and Helena as the main characters? Oh. Yeah. One of the lasting impressions I got with this, we've now had Rebecca, Chris, Leon team up. We've had Barry and Claire team up in Revelations. Do you think we're actually going to get a big stars takedown of someone? We should do. Do you feel it's coming? It's well overdue now, isn't it? I feel like this feels more justified now when you look at stuff like cinematic universes, where they start building towards putting all their heroes together in a movie, that this would be such an obvious thing to do just because everyone else is doing it. And this franchise could have done it ahead of the curve in that respect. But the thing is, though, they don't have a common enemy, though, that brings everyone together anymore. That's yeah. part of the problem. It's why this film feels so empty, because you don't give a shit about Arias. It's all self, yeah, self-contained. I've said it a hundred times, but just go back and think they hadn't got rid of Tricell. You'd have had the introduction, timeline-wise, in Degeneration. You'd have had them as a predominant bad guy in RE5. And then you could have had them then subsequently in Damnation, in Vendetta, in RE6, all building up to something. Oh, and in RE7, they could have been the rival company in RE7 that's yeah. secretly been, yeah, this could have been a continued follow-through thread. And you could have also had in Revelations 2, um, there was some evidence of, like, Tricell Optives trying to track down Alex Wesker, and, like, it would have been, yeah, could have done a lot of stuff with that. And it's just such a basic idea, isn't it? It's not even... They keep seemingly get themselves into so many tangles. don't know how they keep doing it. I think they're afraid to have too many connective storylines because I don't think they know how long the series is going to go on for. And so they just like to keep wrapping up in every game. Six is the problem with this. Six is where they made that decision. Like, after five, where they went, where do we go? Like, you could say five is an issue of Tricell, but they could have not sidelined it after five. Like, six is where they really went, okay, we're just going to go in this direction instead whereas yeah ever since then they've just been a bit wishy-washy this is that disconnected to this this has only got minor connection to that and there's no real enemy like but then um six gave you a great villain and um derek really should have been the villain for the rest of the series it's easy for me to say now but given everything that's happened what i would have done is i would have kept tricell around like you said nick which would have gave a corporation, you know, that's a threat to every character in the series. And I probably would have had Simmons survive six and team up with Alex Wesker, which would negate the need for Jake because Wesker could donate her blood for the C-virus in exchange for a position within the family. Yeah. On the impetus that the reason why she wanted the family is to forward her potential research for immortality. Yeah. 
you've still got the tricell plot, you've still got the US government shady side plot, and you've got Simmons and you've got Alex Wesker. And the great part and, about that too is that you could also still have that distrust that Alex Wesker is just using them with the intent to uh, overthrow and use their research and put exactly. it to make it up a mortal and, and vice versa to take over. Yeah, and so yeah, take vice versa exactly, which would make an interesting dynamic. Of like a we digress, gentlemen. Thing. We digress, but we like to theorise. Um, so I think now's a good time to talk about what do people think worked well in the film. What elements that you think were presented well? It's just the smaller character moments, you know, the bits mm. between Leon, Rebecca and Chris. I thought Arius was an interesting villain, but his whole sympathetic subplot wasn't needed. And the rest of the characters just don't give a shit. The be Silver Dagger BSAA team. Nobody cared when Damien died. Other than it was a dumb decision to open that door. Yeah. It's that classic horror movie moment of like, what are you doing? Move away. Don't open that door. Don't go <laughs> in that room. You know, like, oh, so yeah. cliche. Although, well, very Pat- understandable when you explain the, uh, oh, the guy with the mohawk, he's going to die. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, perhaps then we could say you could draw on the idea that Vendetta's got the best main character interactions. Damnation's probably got the best action. Degeneration's got the something else. Well, I don't know. De- <laughs> de- I would say Degeneration had better character interaction than this. Mm. The dialogue is nice and the scenes are nice, but they're too few for the whole yes. movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Degeneration had plenty of quiet moments between characters. There's very little action in Degeneration. Mm, that's true. So, uh, Sean, anything you felt that worked quite well for you? Rebecca's good, but she's not as good as she is in the stage. And, like, I was really hoping, I don't know what you guys were like, there's a scene in the novel where she describes looking at a picture of her with the rest of the stars team, which I think creates a bit of a continuity error because she shouldn't have met Chris yet when the picture yeah. was taken. But I was really hoping for a flashback. Mm. Um, and I think the stage really did it well. You know, you remember how the stage, sl- you know, the actual stage set slid into the mansion and they're suddenly mm-hmm. wearing their stars uniforms again. Yeah. And you realise, was- oh, we're in a flashback here. We're actually seeing their first meeting. And uh, I don't just really like something like that. Especially if she was in her outfit as well, wasn't she? And, that and, that, and we've not addressed that yet. Where the fuck does that come from? <laughs> does she just carry that around with her as a memento? The fandom cupboard. <laughs> Photo-wise, it would have made sense if it was just a photo of Bravo team. Enough to uh, to instill the idea that she was in the stars thing after she mentions it. But yeah, a flashback would have actually really, really worked really well for this, I think. Just to establish her character's background. But I guess that said, though, like I really like that scene on the helicopter where she explains. I think that was enough. It was yeah. enough to kind of get character motivation and enough to explain her background and her relationship to Chris to perhaps people who don't remember or don't know. So, so there you go then, Nick. The only positive I derive <laughs> from this movie is Rebecca. She is know. fabulous, and I hope this inspires Capcom to use her more. I will also think that most people will say the best thing about this movie is Rebecca. Mm, okay. So, on the flip side of things, in terms of what didn't work, apart from the obvious, I think I, I maintain the view. I don't think the virus worked. I still felt it was far too story-generated a virus. It didn't feel organic enough. And, uh, as I said earlier, I think the, the virus came first, and then they fit the virus for the story, as opposed to the other way around, which I think was important. The action did not work. It was far too over the top, far too, as you say, John Wick, which I don't think fits the universe. I think that's the Anderson universe, if I'm being honest, and not the Resident Evil universe. Anything anyone else thought in particular didn't work? I just thought the whole Arius subplot of his dead wife 
was just unnecessary. I don't think not it worked a, at all. Not a strong enough vendetta. I, I just don't think he needed it. I thought he, he, he was quite an interesting character where he was just a businessman. And if he, if the Los Illuminatus was paying him to attack New York and that was what he was doing, then I don't think he needed a sympathetic angle. Well, I suppose the closest I, relation is I, um, Sacred Snakes chap. I was just going to say with that angle of the thing, there's nothing inherently wrong with that as a justification. It's just really poorly handled throughout. Like, it never amounts to anything. And as we've discussed, it doesn't add any sympathy to the character because when you find out why it was, he was targeted in a drone bombing, it's like, you brought that upon yourself. You can't be that pissed off, like, well, you can be personally, but no, it's not going to bring any sympathy for the audience that knows what's happened, like, mm. kind of undermines it. It'd be different if he was an operative and he'd been, put it this way, if he was an operative for the CIA and that had been explained and he'd been targeted by some other uh, Simmons. person... <laughs> oh, Simmons anything for a particular reason, something to do with the CIA activities. Uh, just a quick question I have for everyone else. Where does the novel rate in terms of canon? I think it's canonical because it's based on the original script, which was two and a half hours. I think they did a timed reading of the first draft script and it was two and a half hours long. And that is what the novel is based around. Okay, because I mean, in the Star Wars universe, novels of films aren't specifically canon. I can see where that comes from. I was just going to say, but in the the Resident Evil universe, we need all the extra information we can get, because these films leave everything so bloody vague. And I don't know if you know, but Stevie X Freak started posting stuff from the Damnation novel as well, which has filled in a lot of the gaps from that film, which has been nice. But again, Um, we don't know when Capcom's notes end and the author's own ideas begin. I guess that the usual rule of thumb has always been it's canon unless otherwise contradicted I guess and that yeah. too you take it as an extra bit of information for these films like I have no doubt like the CIA thing for Arius makes complete sense like his background otherwise where else would he a weapons dealer learn how to fight like that so mm. like, you know those things make complete sense to me and until there was some reason for them to ever say otherwise it doesn't do anything but enrich the characters so favourite moment anyone if you did have one <laughs> Rebecca and Chris in the hotel room. It's the only time it felt like a natural progression for me of the series. Okay. That's... Um, it's tossed up between the first fight between Arius and Chris at the mansion and the bit in the restaurant where Rebecca's having a go at both Leon and Chris and making them realise what a pair of dicks they are. <laughs> Uh, Rob? I have three based on what they are. The restaurant scene that's just been mentioned is my favourite character-wise. I love the absurdity of Rebecca talking about the quarantine and like why you're not wearing any hazmat suit. I just thought that was brilliant. <laughs> I honestly just was like, why has this never been mentioned before? And like, I can understand when you go into an incident and you don't know what you're going to be facing, but when you're coming into the university where you know this outbreak's happened and he's going to be targeted by a bioweapon merchant, you would kind of think you'd be much more prepared. And as we've already talked about, because I laughed so much the uh, explosion and during the wedding scene with the boy off in the distance (laughs) (laughs) yeah just to go off your point about the silliness if you like of of Chris never wearing a protective gear and yet he does in RE7 yes (laughs) he's learned then he's taken Um, Rebecca's advice on board maybe she's got a point yeah (laughs) that's quite funny actually I thoroughly enjoyed the mansion sequence for all of its hark back to the original mansion from RE1 aside from the uh, the homage to the first Resident Evil film I thought for a short period of time they'd actually got a really good mix of action because bear in mind they're going and they're fully armed aren't they unlike what they do in Resident Evil 1 I I thought they were going and they're fully armed and they still felt that they were under threat and I think they pulled that little bit off it and then it just kind of goes a bit over the top after that when bloody Bane turns up and whatnot. And but yeah for the first five ten minutes I was like this is awesome 
And um, alas, it must not last. That's it. So basically, oh, I, you're the only one on the podcast <laughs> who doesn't cite the best bit of Vendetta to be something to do with Rebecca. Nick, um, Nick where did you go wrong? No, I, no, <laughs> no, because I said right at the beginning of the podcast, I, I got a bit of a kick out of the fact that we had a very experienced Chris versus w- what it was, and I, I could see the parallels was quite good, and I enjoyed it. But yes, I would also concur with your uh, things about Rebecca, absolutely. And I, I said frequently throughout this podcast that she was characterised the best, but I did enjoy the beginning bit for all its copycatness of the first game i'd still got a bit kick out of it so there you go right so uh gentlemen marks out of 10 uh i'm gonna back up my earlier mare with a six yeah i'll agree i'll go six as well it's the weakest of the three for me four and there's not many um not many resident evil chapters worse than this i'll go to five four to this and another half a point for the unintentional humor (laughs) (laughs) Ah, well, that does conclude our discussion on Biohazard Vendetta, so we now turn our attentions to Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. New season. New questions. Welcome to Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. Uh, quite a straightforward quiz this week, I think, gentlemen. I think we should be getting some high scores. It's more to do with how well you've been paying attention to previous games. And, uh, well, you'll see, you'll see. So if everyone can clear their desktops, we'll start with question number one. You should all get this one because you've already mentioned it. What is the name of the Spanish chap in Vendetta who also finds Leon in the Rocky Mountains? Yes, I think we've all probably got that one already. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> we all mentioned his name earlier. I can't remember it now. <laughs> this is Saturday night. Saturday night podcast. Me. He was. He was. amounts of fucking lager. <laughs> He's been drinking, and he was drinking during the movie as well. To be fair. Okay. Question number two. What was the name of the arcade in Survivor? It's a bit random. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah we've got mixture this week. Yes. What was the name? Okay. Uh, question number three. Mentioned this as well. The executioner in Resident Evil 5 was also known as what? Question at number four. It's an odd one out question. Odd one out round. Fission Street, Fox Street, Flower Street. Which is the odd one out? And don't worry, it's nothing stupid. Like. <laughs> <laughs> 
And finally, question number five. What was the name of the leech-like Neo-Umbrella-developed B.O.W. that was wandering around Langshan? I'm not very good at my RE6 B.O.W.s, so um, I didn't know this. So um, Ah. let's see how everyone does. A leech-like creature. Cross between the leech zombies and the regenerators, I think. So that concludes the quiz. Join us after this when we'll run through the answers. Welcome back. Let's see how everyone's done. So question number one was, what was the name of the Spanish chap in Vendetta who comes to find Leon? Uh, we'll start with Stars Tyrant. <laughs> Honestly, I had a total memory blank on this one. Ramirez, I can't remember. Rombie? Uh, Patricio. Patricio. Uh, Batman? Yeah, it's Patricio. Patricio. Yeah, I can't fucking remember that. Very good. There are points there to Batman. Uh, Rombie. Question number two, what was the name of the arcade in Survivor? Batman, did you know this one? I think it's the Entrepot. Are you spelling it? E N T R E P O T. Okay. Uh, Star Star. Um, uh, Heaven's Night is the only thing I can remember from Survivor as a place you go to. Okay. Yes, I know it. I know it. Uh, Rombi. Uh, I also had Intrapot, but I remember it was like amusement centre or amusement something because I did the thing about the Capcom games and the guide in the arcade and I remember writing that down correct points there for Batman and Rombies club entry pot very good very good very good question number three I didn't know this one either what's the other name for the executioner in RE5 uh, Rombie, did you know this one I actually don't know this one at all no I don't think Stars it's that well known Stars did you know this one Axeman Axeman no idea Axeman <laughs> Batman nice. oh, I didn't know this one uh, Kifu K-I-F-U. Is it on the uh, figures in the game or something? Or is it just... Uh, I can't remember where I've, I researched it. Is it this yeah, isn't Paul Anderson's name for the fucking thing in... Um, oh, shit, this, it better not be. No, it's an evil movie, is it? It doesn't sound like it would be, but it was possible. No, it's not. I've never heard of Kifu before, I'll be honest. No, I, I did these questions. I can't actually remember I got the answers. For, uh, got the, the oh. Yeah, I, I, st- I stand by that. I stand by that. If you know where he got this from, please uh, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> Question number four, which it was the odd one out. Out of Fission Street, Fox Street, Flower Street. Half a point if you get the answer right. Another half a point if you actually tell me why. You've got a one in three chance of getting half a point. Batman. I have no idea. They all, I recognise them all. Is one of them an incorrect name or something? No, no, no. no. It's, it's, a, it's a genuine, it's a proper question, not one of my stupid questions. I'll just guess Fission Street because I don't know. <laughs> Fission Street. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Okay. Only going to go for half a point then. Okay. Uh, Stars Um, I think it, for some reason my, my gut instinct is telling me flower because back right. when I used to study, you know, if you remember back when I used to host my own webpage and that, I used to have extensive maps and I mm. seem to remember Fisher and Fox are part of Resident Evil 3's map layout. I don't remember Flower at all. It just doesn't pop into my head from anywhere. Okay, so you're going for Flower, eh? Yeah, Flower Street, yeah. It's, because it's, because, because I, I, I can't recall it being anywhere in the series. It's just not something that's ever come up in any map I've seen or anything. 
Uh, I think you're on the right track there. I think Flower Street does exist, but I think you're on the right track with what you're saying. Rumby? Uh, <coughs> God, this is a crapshoot, really. Um, I'm going to go with Fox Street, maybe because it's in a different part of town than the other two. I don't know. That's my only guess. There's some points on offer here, gentlemen. B- between you, you've got the right answer. The correct answer is Flower Street. Half a point stars Tyrant. The answer is Flower Street because that's in downtown, whereas Fission Street and Fox Street are in uptown. Ah. So- uh. So, <laughs> half a point for Rombie, half a point for Stars Tyrant. Very good. Very good. And finally, question number five. What was the name of the leech-like Neo-Umbrella-developed B.O.W. that was wandering around Langshan, China? This will test your pronunciation skills, I think, uh, Batman. I think it's Rasclapangir. Uh, Stars? This is, this, I knew it was Rasca something, but now I, know, uh, now I know how to say it. I don't really know how you can give me that. I knew it was Raska something. I remember it being Raska, but now Bats has said it first. I can't really just sort of say, oh, yeah, it's Raska Pandy. Of course it is. So I I had, like, the first few letters, so I would have to say uh, I didn't know it. You're not going to take the Mr. Spencer route? No, I'm not. I'm going to be honest. Um, (laughs) You should give him half a point. I knew knew it was Raska something. um, And that's honestly what my answer was going to be. It was going to be Raska something. Thing. Okay, noted. Uh, Romby? Yeah, I, I have to admit I was exactly the same thing. If he's going to do that, I'm not going to copy either. I had Rascal or something. You had Rascal or something. Uh, Batman is right. It is uh, Rascal Plange. I'm going to give half a point for Stars and Rob there for um, skills for getting Rascal. Because I think, as I said, again, the BOWs and RE6. It's very difficult. The, absolutely. The, the ones so, in sex across the board have all got very unusual names. They've, I can't remember. what Someone can tell me. They've all got an origin based on Serbia. Okay. Serbian yeah. words, yeah. For some reason, the names stick in the head as opposed to like the Resident Evil 5 ones that don't at all. Mm. Which one's Nadesu? Is that from Nadesu's from that as well? That's from 5. That's That's the Elder Ganty thing. So. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah, in five. So I remember that, and yeah, the ones in five are a lot harder. A lot of them start with N. <laughs> Let's have a look at the scores. And we have joint winners today with Batman and Romby on three points apiece. <laughs> and Stars Tyrant on a respectable two. So very good. Congratulations to everyone. That does conclude this podcast edition of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. Join us next time and we'll have some more questions. So that uh, pretty much brings our podcast to a close. I hope you enjoyed our rundown of Vendetta. One of the things we're going to be thinking about doing, and we're going to put it open to everyone, we were thinking about doing a red media letter style commentary uh, of, of the CGI films, maybe even 4D Executor, which could be our kind of test subject to see how well that goes. And, you know, any excuse to talk about 4D Executor as being one of the greatest <laughs> entries in the series, obviously. And, um, and let's say it's canon as well, why not? It was canon until proven otherwise, my friend. <laughs> Um, and then we may may do our own commentary on uh, on the live action films I think they need to be be video commentaries I think we need a camera on us for that (laughs) it's an excuse to meet up and do a marathon of movies (laughs) that would predicate us all owning the live action films in order to do a live podcast recording of it I readily admit I own all but one of them (laughs) Fucking hell, which one don't you own? The newest one. I'll wait for it to be cheap. I've never bought you them guys, for more than like. You guys, a honestly. Of 
And there's Nick oh, trying to sell a fucking hundred pound <laughs> DVD version of the original on eBay. How did that sell for you, Nick? Uh, that did not sell. <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise! You sold Operation Raccoon City for ninety nine p. You monster. <laughs> I actually got the UK version of the Blu-ray of the first film here. It was in a bargain bin for maybe 70 cents, I think. Oh, that's Zealand, right. Which is, which is about, I guess, 35p. <laughs> <laughs> that's worth it. Just to see so, yeah. Peter Yorkovich's boob, I suppose. So there we go. Right. I didn't um, say that. I did not say that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's something we've got coming up, I think. Um, our next podcast, depending on when Not A Hero comes up, we're going to be talking about a suggestion that came through from um, one of our many, many listeners. Why don't we do a podcast dedicated to Raccoon City, which I thought was a quite a good idea. We can discuss the city generally, but how all the games interact to make this kind of widespread outbreak and how that generally has been represented in the games. Um, which game does it better? RE2, 3, Outbreak, perhaps even uh, you know 1 and 0 to an extent with their with their interactions and uh, I think it'd be quite a, quite an interesting discussion point so uh, that'll be our next podcast no idea when that'll be just uh, subscribe to YouTube now and uh, I'm sure you'll be told when that is I'll put something on Facebook as well if anyone wants to send me some questions and uh, any mp3 call-ins about Raccoon City knock yourself out so with that in mind uh, it's time for us to say goodbye it's goodbye from me Neptune goodbye from me Sars Tyrant goodbye from me Batman and goodbye from me, Rombi.